Hey everyone, how you doing out there? I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're all staying safe and taking care of yourselves. Also, I hope that you are doing what I know you are doing, which is doing what you can to aid the fight against the fascists. Whether it's marching, donating, signing petitions, doing all of that, doing whatever you can do, it makes a difference. We are in a moment right now that I believe will result in much needed change. Black Lives Matter. Black trans lives matter. Happy Pride, everyone. So, the show you're about to hear now is comprised of two conversations I had with the fabulous Silky Nutmeg Ganache. The first one we taped a little over a week ago, and the second one was taped at the tail end of April. And to update everyone who's been asking about why there hasn't been many live from lockdowns recently, well, at the end of the last lockdown episode, I mentioned how I was going to be slowing the release of those because I had a lot of stuff that I had to sort of take care of that I hadn't been taking care of. Well, it turned out I had to basically put full stop on that for self-care reasons. But there's a lot of shows in the works, and I'm also working on getting out a whole bunch of shows taped over the last year and a half. I mean, there's some shows, like I said, taped a year and a half ago, and there's some shows taped two months ago that I want to get out to you. Part of the problem with doing the lockdown every day is I was taping so much, and then you have to factor in the editing, and then there's also, oh yeah, right, the day-to-day life stuff. So, uh, you know, I've been on a quest to find balance, as many of you know, for quite a while. And I'm getting better at it. So that's why there's been no uh, lockdowns and maybe a little gap in posting. But guess what? The factory is open and uh, I'm proud to be sending these audio biscuits out to your virtual cupboard. And what makes that factory run and buzz with excitement? Well, Hot Dog Club. That's right. This episode is brought to you entirely by Hot Dog Club. And to join Hot Dog Club and support this show, just go to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends and check out the reward tiers. There's brand new ones available. So not only can you get bonus episodes, listener questions episodes, and movie club episodes, you can also get in on the Hot Dog Club weekly Zoom hangouts. Oh, and not just that, there's personal Zoom calls, there's personal cameo type things, and so much more. So head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, and now it's time to listen to my two chats with the fabulous Silky Nutmeg Ganache. It's whimsically You're in Mississippi right now. Uh, when did you head down there? I came to Mississippi a couple of days ago. I had been at my house for three months and right. I had decided it's time for a little change. And so I went to Mississippi to just visit my family, um, being extra cautious because I'm at my grandmother's house, which is a duplex. Mm-hmm. And I was very hesitant about coming in, you know, exposing her to corona so sure it was difficult a difficult decision but they supported me in it so i'm at home for like three weeks glad that you're there with family and um you're going to the protests yes i'm going specifically to one tomorrow here in mississippi they've been having protests in mississippi uh very rare i went to one and they were afraid i guess because Someone very racist had wrote on the poster that, uh, please let us know the location for we can come kill you all. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It scared them because we was there. I was helping them set up and everything. Mm-hmm. And it scared them and they end up canceling it. And I had told them, like, when you are protesting, you can't have any fear in your heart. So why are you canceling? And I think I was the only one. Everyone else was afraid except me. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know what? This is what we'll do. You schedule the protest at Town Hall. The police department is right across the street. Don't be afraid. 
that's what we're gonna do. And so they rescheduled it to Saturday um here. Yeah. And so like I've been trying to help organize because I guess I, I lived in the um my hometown was majority um minority. Mm-hmm. And so like I guess that's why people are afraid, but people are tired at yeah. the same time. Yeah. And like I told them, like cities like Ferguson and Flint, Michigan, you just can't be afraid. You you have to go out and you have to represent yourself. And it was just a little shocking to me because my first protest was the Genesis protest in Louisiana back in like 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. I've been appalled. And I guess it was perfect timing for me to come down to help organize this sure. because I did my first protest in high school and I had no fear. Me and my high school friends had no fear. But I wonder, like, what changed between mm-hmm. then and now? Or has the city changed? And I don't know about it because I don't live here anymore. Right. Or do I feel more empowered because I've seen the world, you know? So sure. I'm excited to go out tomorrow and my rainbow equality shirt mm-hmm. because I want to support not only black lives, but black gay lives, black trans lives, because that's a struggle within our own community that we fight for each and every day as well. That horrific video that I saw on, on your timeline, I think, first uh, with uh, Iana Dior. Yeah, I think it's just horrible um, that anybody would beat and brutalize her like that. Um, and then there was so many fabricated stories to say that she did this, she did that, she did the other. She just had a, a slight fender bender and ran into the gas station yeah. for safety. And that end up being like more turmoil. So, um, I want to go back to what you said about fear, because fear can be such a, a um, an obstacle for so many things. And mm-hmm. but you're also your approach to assuaging fears, your right. practical uh, breaking down of that. You know, have it at town hall across the street from the police station and everything. And um, I want to know about when you started to realize that there was sort of pragmatic solutions to things that are so terrifying sometimes. And because, you know, you are an organizer and you Mm -hmm. were the chairman of the Malcolm X Institute of Black Studies at Wabash College. And in in your post about that, I was um, touched to see you describe, let me, let me get the post and read it because I think it it was a really uh, beautiful post. And you're welcome. And I've been thinking a lot about, not just fear in people, but also complacency. And I don't know what mm-hmm. the definition for it is, but there's this uh, thing that really troubles me where people say things to the uh, the effect of, regarding like the election, say, well, you know, what's the point? Uh, our vo- votes, votes don't count. Um, it's, uh, it's rigged. It's a conspiracy. All of that stuff, which I find incredibly fatalistic and uh, indulgent, really. And uh, I want to read this post because I feel that this addresses uh, some of those things in terms of the way that we look at things. And also, uh, Obama's town hall recently, I found very inspiring. All of the speakers spoke to uh, the importance of identifying and celebrating uh, incremental progress because it can be easy to see a giant problem, which, of course, we have lots of giant problems. But uh, if we don't celebrate the small victories, I think it's impossible to continue down a path. Right. You posted, at Wabash College, I was the chairman of the Malcolm X Institute of Black Studies and the, the only Malcolm X institution in the country. And being a part of this organization helped me truly understand what it means to think critically and lead effectively while prioritizing the needs of black folk. 
This is where I understood Malcolm's phrase, by any means necessary, which many confuse with violence. It's simply bringing attention to the greater cause. During the time of this pandemic, where black people are still being harassed, beat, and killed, I challenge you all to be selfless in your ideas and actions. Think of a world where folks aren't being killed because of the color of their skin. We get lost in looting and protest, yet forget the reason is because unarmed black people are getting killed by the people-funded police officers that are there to serve and protect. And then there's a picture uh, of you with the former chairmen, including Mr. Cooper, who uh, spoke at the finale of Drag Race. And I I just wanted to get some of your thoughts about approaching really big, thorny problems and how people can start breaking them down into step-by-step approaches so the the first thing of any matter is you got to stay a couple of steps ahead anytime you're doing anything so like with the protests here in mississippi they're gathering people but they didn't really how can i say this it was more of we're going to do this and see who gets involved sure why do anything without a purpose Mm -hmm. so when you're not prepared that's what brings upon fear Oh, right. When, you, you, when, you're, when you're just not prepared. And right. so you have to be prepared for these things. And I know we're living in a, like a, a new world where technology and everything of that nature is, is abrupt. So being prepared and being a couple of steps ahead is if you were wanting to protest and if you wanted to do it the proper way where you don't want to step on any toes, then if you don't want to step on any toes, you should have asked for a parade permit. You know, like yeah. a, a parade permit, you know, um, and with that parade permit, the local police department will be there to assist sure. because that's a part of the permit. Right. So it's just about staying a couple of steps ahead, thinking every option out before you make a move or announce anything, because that was kind of the issue with the protest that was going to. It was just like, yeah, we want to do something, but we don't know how. So we're going to just do this and see. Sure. I don't think they. I, I think people mistake the power that they have, the power of one individual. Mm-hmm. As long as you're thinking critically and leading effectively, things can change. Yes, right. And like I said in that post, and you just have to prioritize and think ahead. Think ahead of everything. If safety is an issue, you do things where the police will be forced. Mm-hmm. Have it at the town hall. The police is right across the street, you know? Sure. Like, I just think that in these times, and I watch so many, many videos, like, people are just getting fed up. Yeah. And that fear is, is leaving. A protest don't have to be anything but gathering together peacefully with a common cause. So whether that is uh, marching, chanting, mm-hmm. or kneeling, mm-hmm. or it's complete silence. It's about being unified. So you have to be prepared and being unified. If you're not sure what you want to do at a protest, there's no purpose of the protest. So sure, I just personally believe in, you know, the Bible say it speaks about order. So like, you have to do everything with decency and order. Right. Sometimes people don't like like the police. Unfortunately, I I think too. Like um, even with the terms of like the police, you have to be prepared for that. For example, the late great um, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King attempted to protect his family by having security at his house, mm-hmm. 
And there was a civil rights leader that said, if you believe in peaceful protest, you can't have security at your house. That's kind of like the, the theory of peaceful protest is not being afraid, but being more so prepared. So mm-hmm. like even in today's protesting, being prepared is you you've seen around the country. First of all, every state is protesting. The first time ever, I believe, right? For the first time ever, the, like the biggest we've ever seen. Not only many states, different countries are protesting this. Like right. for right. Us. and part of that's embarrassing because everybody we have like um a government administration that is just horrible. Mm-hmm. The worst that the worst ever, I think it, it can be easily said the yeah. worst ever worst anywhere yeah like this man is worse than hitler because at least hitler had a mission and he was very clear about what he was gonna do this <laughs> man you never know he's just gonna wake up one day and be like i hate this people <laughs> yeah, right. like you don't know who's next on the right. line here's something else i'm doing and it's always a new surprise every day it really it really is like this is like bonkers this is crazy and like it's extra crazy to me because I, with the police officers, this administration, you don't know who's going to be targeted. So, mm-hmm. like, I was watching a video in Buffalo, New York, where the 75-year-old guy just approached the police officer, and the police officer pushed him down and busted his head while he's bleeding. Yeah. Like. And then, then the other officer, even the, the only one of them who starts to even motion like he's going to maybe check on the guy. And then the other guy kind of like tugs on his arm or something like that. You know, you can't even know for sure if the guy was going to see if he was okay. But like, it's so uh, un like unallowed to break from the pack. You know, like so even if some of those people had the notion, oh my god, what's going on? They're too scared to uh, break ranks. And and just now, uh, the rest of the guys in that battalion or whatever you call it, that squad just resigned in support. And Buffalo. Yeah, exactly. And on one hand, I go, good, bye guys, so long. But it's a gross display of that um, that thin blue line thing. And I, I'm i so excited about that because now you get to hire people and, and form a whole new department of what you want. Like, Yes. I think they. this is where it's going to backfire on them because I think they thought initially that, oh, we're all... We'll all just leave, and then once we leave, they'll be stuck with nothing. Like, yeah, and they'll have to come back to us. They'll have to like you know work something out with us, et cetera, et cetera. That's not going to happen, I don't think anymore. That's no, not, yeah. they were peacefully protesting in Buffalo. What the, nothing was getting wild. Nothing was getting out of order. Right. Like you, it's crazy. <laughs> no, it is. It's 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 completely insane. And what I find even more insane is the bad behavior that we keep seeing, say, on the streets of New York after there's been so many videos of the bad behavior at the protests, etc. And then I think even Cuomo had to backpedal because of the pressure being put on him from the the you know the the police force, etc. Which is it's really spooky because it it gets to feel like you know like a mafia film or something like that. There's actually a movie called Serpico. I'm going to rewatch about um, Frank Serpico, who was a whistleblower on on uh, corruption in the police department. The nature of the story is if you don't go along with them, they're going to try to kill you. They did, They tried to kill him and he mm-hmm. thankfully survived. But uh, that kind of insane uh, cult-like stuff going on in there. And of course, that's why you know now people are saying rightly defund the police and, and look at other ways. That's happening and it's coming along brilliantly. Like Los Angeles just announced yesterday they're taking $125 million 
which is only like 10% of their budget, but they're taking that portion of the money, which that's a huge budget. Yeah. They're taking that money and they're going to um, create that will be up and running by July Department of Civil and um, Human Rights, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Like, yeah. um, it's sad that, you, you know, we had to take a step like this to even think of that. Mm-hmm. Like, you think Los Angeles, especially with the L.A. riots and sure. how, how much has been done yeah. and how many communities still haven't been rebuilt. Right. Like, and that's been for like 40, 50 years now. Or, no, it's not been that long. 20, 25. Okay, maybe I was exaggerating, <laughs> but it's been that Still, it's a, a long enough time. You know, some things could have happened. Longer, yeah, yeah. Right. And you're just now thinking about doing, like, implementing something like this. Like, really? Right. Um, so that's wonderful. I, I'm standing where all the, oh my goodness, Mississippi, these bugs. <laughs> I'm standing outside because I'm like, I needed to take the dog out at the same time because the dog was like mm-hmm. being crazy. So the dog is getting <laughs> a little time out. Sorry. Oh, don't, but, that's um, fine. Yeah. The police officers, um, the chief of police, like the chief of police in Houston who made the statement and went out and marched with them, you yeah. know, um, then you have the Atlanta police chief who disagreed with the mayor after one of her press conferences, go out and say, you know what? I'm sending away all my white police officers and we're going to sit here and we're going to discuss this mm-hmm. and we're going to, I'm going to listen to you and hear what you want. And that's in Atlanta. Like that's amazing. Yeah. You know, they were two police officers that was fired um, for tasing and rough handling some college students mm-hmm. who supposedly broke curfew but because of the protest and they couldn't find a way to get back to their house. Right. And so they've been fired. And then as of yesterday, um, the police chief uh, suspended six other people. Oh, wow. Six other police officers that was involved with that. So, you know, it's time now to like, just start holding people accountable. Yeah. And that's only going to happen. Like when you put pressure, I know people are disagreeing with the looter looters and my personal opinion, I agree with looting because that's another thing by, any means necessary. Mm-hmm. I think that's the final, final straw because sure. the reality of it is most of the stores like Target will be back up and running in two months. Sure. Let's be honest. And they're insured. They're, uh, you know, it's a large corporate entity. It's exactly. And, but these huge corporations come into these cities and don't contribute anything. That's another problem within itself economically that you, you bring in people like, and that goes for a lot of different things. A lot of police departments. Mm-hmm. Um, you live 45 minutes away. Why are you policing the community? Right, right. That you don't even live in. Right. A community you don't even care about. So right, right, right there alone, your policing is... Flawed. It, it really is flawed. Yeah. You have nothing to lose. You don't live in that community. You know, and that just breeds more and more um, antipathy to, towards the other, which is also, you know, the greatest fear of all, like people who don't get over that and people who are encouraged not to. Back when I was in college um, and I was working with the Malcolm X Institute of Black Studies, before I became chairman, I was the KQNK tutoring and mentoring program director. Mm-hmm. And I was damn good at it. When I took over, there was four students like in the program. And by the time it ended, I think I had 32 students. Oh, wow. And so like, I grew the program huge, something that is uh, funded by the college. Didn't have a big budget. The budget's like $800 a semester. Nothing big. And that was basically just to buy snacks for the kids. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but after my freshman year, I took over my freshman year, my sophomore year, I had received a grant that was about twenty nine thousand dollars mm-hmm. for the year. It was a federal grant because of my work with that program. And with working with that program, I worked with the Crossroads Jail Police Department because the assistant chief of police, I'll never forget this, Officer Lee, uh, nephew, was in the program. And he was just like, you've done so much work and his grades have shot up tremendously. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't believe that his grades and his behavior is a lot better. And I think it was because, like, um, even though it's a tutoring, like the focus was tutoring, I worked very hard on um, the mentoring and with mentoring become discipline because those kids was just not going to take me out on the 30 kids and it'd be like three of us in the room. You ain't going to take me out. Yeah. But you know, like um, I focus on that and I worked very, very hard um, with officer Lee, like individually. Yeah. Uh, he was the assistant police chief and I never going to forget. I was driving around across the across the and back in 2002, like, this is crazy. The KKK clay walked the streets and it made national news because um, the citizens of the city literally poured soap and water and screw up the streets after they left. And that's why it made national news. Yeah. But still, that city have racial tensions. It's predominantly white. Yeah. I, like, I remember one Sunday, I'll never forget this. I was leaving a friend named Sophia house with another guy named Joey. We were leaving, going back to campus. Um, Joey was getting his hair braided. And the police department stopped me. Mm -hmm. They took me out of the car and questioned both of us what we were doing. And I'm a college student. I got a college license plate. Like, what's what's the take? Right. And I'll never forget that. Like, they had held us up for about 45 minutes Mm -hmm. for nonsense. Yeah. And I went back to Officer Lee, and I told him what happened. And Officer Lee made sure that was that I was never harassed again by any of those police officers. So in all my four years, I never got pulled over again. I never got a speeding ticket. I never did anything. But it takes people like Officer Lee, yeah, that who would stand up for justice, right, to like make a change. And I think that's a portion of it now um, that it's time for people with no melanin to come out and speak out. Right. about these issues and that's kind of where i stand at it because like on instagram i've been posting this has been my life mission i was marching in high school i've done marches in college i've met um reverend al Sharpton many times mm-hmm. i've interviewed him probably wouldn't know who i am to this day but you know <laughs> <laughs> but that's the reality like i've that's the work that I've done over the years. And I keep posting pictures, posting pictures because this has been my life mission. Right. And at this point I'm tired. And if you want things to change, what I've been doing ain't changing. Right. The peaceful protesting, the marching, um, helping with legislation, like that ain't changing. Mm-hmm. So that's for anybody. Like when I said earlier with the looting, I'm a supporter of looting. Sure. That's the reason why. Right. I, you know what? America has to pay for its sins. Mm-hmm. And so does that mean that we got to burn this bitch down Yeah. for everything can come back up fresh and with a new attitude, a new anointing, a, a, a new atmosphere, then that's what had to, what, that's what had to um, have to happen at this point because right. what we've been doing ain't working. Right. And it's not until this year that it's working. And I think one of the major uh, 
reasons why it's working because we have people with no melanin, no melanin coming in and marching and speaking and protecting and saying this ain't right. You see a million videos where people are giving speeches and the police are trying to attack them. And then you have like um, white people swarming them because the police is not after them and won't even attempt to even touch them. Right. You know, right. like this is the craziness that's going on. So it ain't working. So some stuff got to get burnt down. It just got to burn it down. Burn it down. Yeah. Burn it down and rebuild it. I can't remember where the quote's from. The status quo is going to remain the status quo until people are made uncomfortable. You got to make people mm -hmm. uncomfortable. There's no way around it. And something from the Obama town hall that I really loved uh, hearing was that it's not just about protest and it's not just about policy. It's the two together. It's it's a protest and policy. Right. And you have to have a good a good balance about that, too. Yeah. I haven't started looting yet, but if I start looting, <laughs> just so Sally May Navy get burnt down, I did it. <laughs> okay. It's, it's good to know. Good to know. That's, such, but, um, that's the student loan place yeah. here in America, student loans. Oh, yeah. Because that's a whole nother destruction in America as well. Absolutely. Like, yeah. You're, you're, I have uh, $95,000 in student loans, which is ridiculous. Right. And this is another reason why I, I tell people, like, I've done everything. Like, they always say, like, I've been told, like, by several people, and this bothers me. Silky, you know, you, you, and I find this insulting because I've heard it. You're one of the good ones. You know, you don't uh -huh. go out looking for trouble. You know, you have these degrees. You have the, it doesn't, like, all of that doesn't matter because I may have all of that. I may have a particular character that you are known for. But at the same time, I'm not immune to being pulled out of my car. Right. I'm not immune to like being killed. I, the last time I was pulled over by a police officer, which was in 2015, I was the um, director of high school recruitment for the chef's Academy. And I was going to some old port, town in indiana i can't even remember the name of it mm -hmm. at this point but i was pulled over by a police officer and had a panic attack never forget this and it was right after someone had died from like a traffic stop yeah and the, the police officer's like are you okay and i was just like i am like freaking out right now because like i was on a road with like um a lot of trees i wasn't like on a like on the main highway i was back like in the cornfields yeah. of um, Indiana. And I'm just like, I had like literally told the police officers right now, these may be the last words I speak. Like you can like get rid of my body right here and nobody will ever find me. Right. And like, I think I shocked him so much that he was just like, get to where you're going and, and have uh -huh. like a better day. Yeah. Like, and I was just like, like it had freaked me out. Cause I, I've never had a speeding ticket. I've had a few parking tickets. So I've had that. I've never had a speeding ticket. I've never ran like a red light or stop sign. I don't drive fast. Like it, it's just like in my nature, but still to this day, I don't even know what I was even pulled over for. And it never even got to that. I don't know. That man could have told me I had a broken tail light. Mm -hmm. I don't even know right. to this day why I was pulled over. And that's my experience. You know, one of the good ones, the one that, you know, uh, has these degrees and speak 
intelligently because I can speak very eloquently, but you know, y'all see me on the TV show. I can get down with the get down because I, I got criticized for that on the TV as well. Like you are a person that have these degrees and you claim to be a church lady, this, that, and the other. And my response to that is when you go into a place acting like you're better than everybody, it doesn't work. And I was a successful college recruiter for many schools because I knew how to meet anybody where they were. Right. It's not about me wanting to be bigger and better. And I think that's a problem with churches. You know, everybody thinks they're big and better, but it's not even about being better. It's about, you know, meeting people where they are. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and relating and talk- being, being human and, and just in connecting. Right. Yeah. It must be really, really frustrating to even hear that, well, you're one of the good ones. I find that offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because you, that means if you think that I'm one of the good ones, what do you think other people are? Like my younger brother, my younger brother, my younger brother, I'll be honest. My younger brother is smarter than me and my older brother. We have many, me and my older brother got many degrees. My younger brother is smarter than both of us. But unfortunately, my younger brother is not motivated to go to college. Mm-hmm. He wasn't motivated to do any of that. So because he chose to not do that in his life, so that means that he's bad. Right, because right. Because he like he liked Nikes and he wore Jordans and all of that. That means that he's less than. No, no, not at all. If you have like this assumption of what people are and who they are before you even get to know them, like as Martin Luther King say, uh, judge me by the content of my character. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I can't even get it out. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I just know judge me by the content of my character. I can't even think of, uh, don't judge me by the, uh, the color of my skin, but the con- content of my character. I, I think w- like we'll that. go with that. that. Look, the message is, is uh, the same, right? It, the message is in line. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and so then also to get that strange pressure for, oh, you shouldn't speak this way on the TV show because you're um, uh, you know, a, a great student and, and have many degrees, et cetera. I'm imagining it creates a, a feeling of like, no matter which way you're going to get shit from people. Oh, I'm always. And I think once I had realized that I became a better person because I used to like internalize that after getting off the show. Yeah. I used to internalize that. Like I used to get critiqued about this, that and the other. Cause you know, even to my very own grandmother was just like, Oh my goodness. Sometimes you have like a filthy mouth, but then she's like, sometimes you talking this so eloquently and so beautifully well thought out. I was like, grandmother, I think that's the beauty of who I am as an individual that, right. You know, I'm very down to earth, but also I can get you together intellectually if I need to, you know, like <laughs> right, it just depends right. on where we are. Right. I like saying, you know, I'm a drag queen. I like going around. Hey bitch. Like, yeah. I love that. Like, <laughs> right. Right. But I also love like to say, Hey bitch. And like, now, now look, let's talk about it for real, for real, for a moment, you know? Yeah. There's so many ways to say the exact same thing that just have a different uh, slant to it. And that's the magic of language. It, right. And people understand it too, because, you know, like I could say, hey, bitch, to somebody and say, hey, sweetie. And they know that, hey, sweetie, mean like, <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble. It's a little bit more serious. Like, this <laughs> yeah. thing, get back. Right. Right. You know, like, yeah. But it's just about meeting people where they are. And that's why I got offended by like my whole life. Because I'm a black individual that went to a predominantly black high school 
and I would be the only person representing my school and different things, random things. And I'd be one of two like black people. Uh-huh. So I guess I've become accustomed because I went to a predominantly white college as well. Uh-huh. And even at my master's degree program, I went to a Christian school. I was the only black person at graduation for my, my school. So like, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Like, but like at the same time, I'm not going to lie. I used to do things to think outside the box. Yeah. And so that's why I was going to get my PhD. One of the professors wanted me to, he told me that I needed to teach because of my way of thinking, Mm -hmm. because like in classes, it was all white people. And in my classes, I would bring up things like, um, and leadership all about, you know, racial injustices and, and I would bring this up in leadership and it will make other people think and comment a lot. And I need to continue that work. I realize more and more now that I need to continue that work. And now I have to reapply for my PhD program because it's mm-hmm. been two years. Um, I wish I didn't because right now it's the perfect time. To, like, oh, right. To start right. July 5th. I didn't know it was like that, that you have like a sort of um, expiration date on when you can go back or whatever. Right. So my school was two years. So I have to like reapply now. And I wish that I would have. I, well, I didn't know coronavirus was going to happen. That's the other thing. Yeah. Right now would be perfect this year. Yeah. To go back to school while we have like this dead time because my school isn't. I have to do classes online, which would be easier and better. Yeah. But right. I'm gonna. That's great to hear. And also, you know, you do that kind of um, teaching already in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, with your platform and what you share right. and everything. So we spoke of Officer Lee before and also the officers in Atlanta. And I'd like to know, in general, your overall feeling about the police and what should be done with the police. I know the whole phrase, one bad apple can spoil the bunch. But until there is um, police reform in the United States, federally mandated, fuck the police. Absolutely fuck the police. Absolutely fuck the police. The Houston Police Department speaking out, the Atlanta Police Department speaking out, and there's been other ones until y'all put pressure to make it well, like known. Right, right. And this has been going on for way too long that y'all just been sitting back, being complacent and, and watching this happen until y'all get up and move it around. Yeah. Mistake. Fuck the police. Yeah. And that's all I got to say about it. And that, don't, that doesn't mean that I want to burn the police down that doesn't mean that i want to kill them when i see them that just means that fuck them yeah and until y'all get it right until there's the legislation that if you kill someone unarmed and in their back or put that your knee on their head or if you break into that because like another brianna taylor you break into that apartment yeah um Plain closed as well, but just in case anyone listening didn't wasn't aware, th- there was no indication that they were police. They just came in, and, and like anyone would think, they would think that it was a home invasion. But go ahead, like right. you said, and we're taping this actually on what would have been her twenty seventh birthday. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So until those things don't happen anymore, federally, or there are consequences to make people think twice or to make them re-see the way they see black people. Fuck them all. The police need to end, like, having uh, minimal arrest. Like, Oh, yeah, the quotas thing, like, right? Yeah, I fucking the, hate The quotas. That. Like, yeah. 
it's almost like you have to stop the quotas as well because why is there quotas on human lives? Right. Like that don't even make any sense. Like you just got to stop somebody just because they'd have told you you got to meet a certain number. Right. Like that's ridiculous. I had made another post, like, because as we hold on police accountable, we need to hold these corporations accountable as well. So I made another post saying that um, some of you corporations need to, like, start. Um, to, first of all, you need to have black people or people of color because you need Latina, Hispanic, Asian people as well on these board of directors. Some of these corporations need to start, like, a multicultural department, like, to see what's going on, like a civil agency or like a human, um, what am I trying to say? Like a, not almost like a human rights or like sort of like a council board or something like that. Like uh, right, like like all of this need to start being put into place for these corporations that's backing, like because everybody. I want to make sure that you're not just joining the trend of Black Lives Matter. Right. I want to make sure that you're not just talking about it. That you're walking that walk. That you're talking. Right. So that means. Hiring more black people, hiring more Latino, Asian people, um, having more color. Because it's not that you can't even say that people aren't even qualified. I lived in Indiana for six years Mm -hmm. and I was unemployed for two of those six years Mm -hmm. with a master's degree, with degrees, well-spoken. I remember I even went to go get a job at a dealership. Mm-hmm. And the guy just straight up told me, you're black and you're dressed too well. He was like, I need you to come back tomorrow and I need you to uh, tone it down because you're dressed too well. He explained this to me. He was like, when buying cars, he was like, I'm a white dude. And when I first started off, I had this Rolex that my father bought me and probably the, the most valuable thing I've ever had in my life. And he was just like, um, people want to buy cars for me because they thought that I had money or something. And I, I was just kind of appalled because even if this is like your system and how you do things or how you uh, mandate, yeah, that is kind of like messed up. Yeah, that's how you view me. Or I'm, I, I don't know. I've gone to interviews in Indiana where people want to start talking about my background as like a black man, and mm-hmm. never got the job. And I just felt like it was a vetting process of you know getting people out you know to Uh see if i'm outspoken you know like it's just all different types of things and i feel like these corporations need to to cleanse themselves as well now i want to ask you about what you've done in the past to avoid being despondent not saying you avoided being despondent because i can imagine in that stretch of unemployment it would make sense that you would be uh, an easy fit for pretty much any company so the frustration in that must be incredible and I want to know how you approached uh, staying positive against that sort of thing, because I imagine it's that that kind of thing that you have come up against uh, over and over again. It made it it made to be honest, it made me jaded for a, a very long time, because even in my, my round of college, I uh, was the head peer advisor at career services. Mm-hmm. And then I got so many people jobs and, th- and I left college without having a job, you know? Yeah. And it just made me very envious and bitter for a a very long time. Sure. And I got out of that mindset because I was just like, things happen for a reason. Uh And still to this day, I never wanted to move to Chicago. Never. Mm -hmm. Ask anybody. I never wanted to move to Chicago. But my gay mother was like, 
you know, you got your masters. There's going to be more opportunity in Chicago, come to Chicago. And then I get to Chicago, couldn't get a job. But one thing that I did get was I was entertaining right. and I entertained like four or five nights a week in Chicago. I was booked everywhere because there was nobody like me in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then five months later, I found out I'm going to be on Ru- RuPaul's Drag Race. So like, I'm a firm believer now, like I had always been like things happen for a reason. Sure. Sure. Because uh, when the chef's Academy closed down, and I was unemployed and I was looking for a job, but I was collecting my severance package. Then I was collecting unemployment. I must say that was the best year of my life. Mm-hmm. The best year, but I didn't have a job. But what I was doing was taught myself how to sew, was mm-hmm. making costumes, making outfits. Yeah. Um, All the stuff that then came to aid you in your time on Drag Race. Right. Yeah. And you know what? Like as a, a black person, I know my grandmother say, say this, I'm a, I'm a religious person. Well, not religious. I'm more spiritual, but I am Christian faith. So I believe like, um, things happen for a reason and you, you get set up for things and not even know it. Sure. Right. Not even though I'm going through something personal now yeah. that I haven't spoke about in public that I'm pretty sure everybody found out about later, like, um, with us not like working or anything, we're not working. Right. And one of the reasons I came to Mississippi, I have to find me a new apartment next month. Because another stress on top of everything that's going on. Yeah. I don't think it's a stress anymore. Okay. Because things happen for a reason. It probably came at the perfect time because we're in a pandemic. We ain't working. I'm draining my savings account. Right. And so um I might as well go and say it now. My mom had um mentioned why this pandemic is going on. Why don't you just put your stuff in storage and move home for six months? Yeah. And I, I'm, I was so against it a few days ago. Right. So against it. Cause I'm just like, I don't want to move back home. But the more and more I think about it, this may have been the perfect plan to save money. Right. To come back home. Cause you know, I'm very family oriented. Yeah, sure. Spend time with my family. Of course I have my family. So my older brother, I was expressing things to him and mm-hmm. he was just like, well, if you ever need a boy, you know, you got $50 for a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. It's good. I that mean, yeah, It's good to know that, you know, you're not paying for the apartment. So you got a little extra cash to get, grab one of those hotel rooms. <laughs> right. So, um, I think things happen for a reason because like when, um, I was gonna. I was looking for an apartment and looking, looking, looking for an apartment a few weeks ago. Yeah, and I couldn't find anything or nothing affordable that was in my budget. Yeah, sure. I was yeah. just like, uh, "Dang, what I'm gonna do?" And so it, it's another thing. You know, you always been prepared for something differently. Right. And right. So and life never stops giving us either if you want to say challenges or curves or or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But then weirdly, uh, there's that old saying about when you look back at your life, you can see almost a linear path through how one thing mm-hmm. kind of led to something else. And, you know, that's also because of what we do with the things that are put in our path. You know, so it's very much, it's just like the policy and protest thing. It's very much a 50-50 split because uh, you have to do something with it. But you clearly do with anything that comes your way. And I think it's a, uh, thanks for sharing that, by the way, because I think that's a really mm-hmm. uh, wonderful thing for everyone to hear because everyone right now is uh, experiencing some level of uncertainty. Some, you know, for some people it's way up here, and for some it's down here. But I think your approach is the approach. You know, 
Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm not really working in L.A. right now. Nobody's working. Everybody's right. at home. And, you know, at least like being in Mississippi. Like right now, my uncle lives next door to my grandmother. Oh, that's lovely. My younger brother <laughs> yeah. lives like, it's almost like a family lane. Yeah. So I have like, the reality of it is I get tired of my mom. <laughs> my mom my mom and grandmother live together. They have, my grandmother turned her house into a duplex after Hurricane Katrina. Oh, right. And right. so my grandmother lives on one side, my mom lives on one side. When I get tired of one of them, I can go to somebody else's house. Yeah, and you can bank a lot of time with family, which is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's um, something, especially when you're you know, back on tour and everything like that, it's uh, something that becomes a scarcity. Right. So right now, that's kind of where I'm at with that. You know, like, um, I, I just don't, like, being a person of color, I guess, um, to completely ask that question, like, I've always been set up for things, but at the same time, I have always been open to whatever the move's going to be. Yeah. Like, because yeah. even though I didn't want to move to Chicago, I moved there. Look what happened. That's um, right. Yeah. I'm a little hesitant to move into LA, but by the time I moved to LA, um, a reality for me is I, that's how I got a lot of opportunity. So, yeah. Like right now, moving back home. Yeah. You never know what may happen or right. Um, so I'm a little open to it. I may save a little bit of money and yeah. Hopefully I just I'm, I'm just afraid that I may like it too much and <laughs> 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 <I'm> bad. <laughs> well, you know, you could always do that thing where you just, you know, when everything's sort of back on its axis of doing the thing of like getting an Airbnb for a little while in LA and then, you know, going on tour cuz you're not home really anyway when you're on tour. So there's a lot never. of a lot of options, you know. Yeah. Mhm. And that's a great thing. And I'm really happy that you're going to be able to spend time with your family like that. And uh, and again, thanks for joining me today on this update. And I think it's a nice uh, companion to the other thing that we talked about. We talked about a lot of great stuff. And actually, before we go, I, I want to get your thoughts on how the LA Pride March was announced. And they, they said that it was going to be uh, a joint thing to honor uh, Black Lives Matter. But then turns out that they did not consult with Black Lives Matter on that. I think it's a perfect... Per, uh, perfect example of what's been going on in the gay community for many, many years. Yeah. For the gay community, and the, I'm talking about specifically club life. Sure. Has been very uh, white. Yeah. Like even to some of the clubs I live in, that work in LA, they've been very, very, very white. Yeah. And they haven't really included black people. Mm-hmm. And any of the decisions. So for them, like LA Pride to announce that they're having a Black Lives Matter program, like, I mean, a march for Black Lives Matter, and not to even include Black people, it just shows what's been going on for a very long time. You've had these clubs, you've had these prides, and you've not even one time consulted, not even allowed a Black person on your board of directors. Uh-huh. And then and now, you know, you just make these decisions that yeah. supposed to include other people, but you're really not even including them in that decision. So I think that's what's going on. I, I just think that was a perfect example showing of that's been the legacy of Pride, these nightclubs for such a long time. That was a good sound effect, by the way. That was a great sound effect. I could like pluck that out. And you- <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and of course, you know, all the things that are all the pillars of gay nightlife, queer nightlife, 
they're they all come from black sources exactly but they don't include us right which is fucked up the verbiage the language to the dancing the voguing like everybody wants to do it it's, it's almost like and this has been the issue for many years like about like black culture sure everybody wants to use the black culture but nobody wants to like truly support the black culture and so that's the unfortunate part about what's going on right now and there was even like a club that i work with and i'm not sure how i'm gonna handle it or i'm gonna think about it because there was um a club that basically posted all lives matter and oh dear never supported black lives matter yeah and um made like this random post about how we want to uh, really be Black Lives Matter, we have to tr- support Tyra Sanchez. And it's just crazy. Like, it's so crazy because, like, I don't use my block button and I unblock 12,000 people. I think I mentioned that in the last interview. But right. I um, start to block people that are becoming a distraction to the movement. Sure, sure. Because right now, like, even on my post, um, I post and they'd be like, RuPaul hasn't responded. How do you feel about that? I don't because the reality for me is RuPaul is someone black, even though RuPaul has made it to where she is today. We don't, I don't know the racism that she's faced. Sure. I don't know what she's facing right now. So I can't speak on her and yeah. I can't force her to speak because when you force people to speak, you get somebody like Kanye West. And then it's just all over. You just, you just all over. Like it, that's a really yeah. good point too. Again, about the sort of um, imagined rules about who's supposed to say what and and when. Oh, say what and when and how. And I already feel like I had made a post about this on my my Facebook page, and I had said, you know, all of this is going on, and because you add Black Lives Matter, that really don't make you an ally. Mm-hmm. that make you part of the trend. Sure. So, again, I can't express this enough. Actions speak louder than words. Right. And through your actions, people will see what's going on and people will see where you stand and people will see, you know, people will see where you are. So, you know, like, I, th- I think actions really, really do speak louder than words. Yeah. And so, like, even though people are just saying Black Lives Matter, this and the other, until I see you march, sis, until I see you speaking up for black people in the club, like when they treat it unfairly, you know what, when I see you start speaking up, because it's so crazy that now people are speaking up about things that happened years ago. Uh-huh. Show directors who was told by club owners, you can book three, you only can book, they, it's called the uh, one-three ratio. Okay. One black girl to every three white girls. Uh-huh. You know, like, because if you just so happen to book four black girls, it becomes a black girl magic show. Right, you know, and club yeah. owners don't like that, you know. Even though, even though, it, it, like it, you, you'd like to think, like in this day and age, you know, it wouldn't because you you see a black girl magic and how successful it is and how much people love it, but they still don't want it for some reason. Oh no, they don't want it because it's not good for business. It makes the, it gives the club a certain image. Okay. It's almost like how um, which club? Uh, Progress in Chicago uh-huh. last year. The club owners told them to stop playing urban music because it's attracting the wrong crowd. And then a show director put them on blast about it. And so then it became like a huge thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, like you said, actions speak louder than words. And also, it, it can't just be a trend that people put on their social media for a week, two weeks, however long. It's got to be something that stays in people's consciousness. And uh, Right. Yeah. I, I've seen people like calling out, some of my friends calling out people who went to the march in L.A., just for a photo op to put it on their Instagram, you know? Yeah. And like, you can't, you got to be a part, like that's probably, that's a part of the problem, you know? You got to really, really believe. Yeah. And what's going on to be completely conscious and for things to change. Well, they, they seem to agree with us, the people driving by, which I appreciate. <laughs> well, listen, uh, I want to thank you again so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go uh, on on this? Um, the only thing I like to add is uh, keep up the good fight. Fabulous. <laughs> See, they, they can't yeah. stop agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Silky, and uh, have a, a wonderful rest of your day, and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. All right, perfect. You have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. She's got a degree in organizational leadership and is on her way to a doctorate in philosophy, a fabulous queen with her own snack shop, a survivor of not only Hurricane Katrina, but also RuPaul's Drag Race. Munch, munch, crunch, crunch, serving you the lockdown lunch. I'm proud to present none other than Miss Silky Nutmeg Ganache. Welcome, Silky. Hi, how are you? How are you? Fabulous. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. How have you been doing in this crazy time? Oh, I, I'm enjoying the time. I For the last two years, I've been on the road performing four to five nights a week. So yeah. this has been a lovely time off, but I've had like a like five, six weeks off now, so I'm ready to get back to work. Right, right. The novelty's wearing off a bit. Mm-hmm. And you were in LA, right? Right. And your roommate's with uh, Vanjie. Allegedly. <laughs> That's the rumor on the street? That's the rumor. Yeah. So uh, how long have you been living in LA? A little over a year. Around what time in this uh, this era did you did it sink in for you? About six weeks ago, I had a gig canceled, and I was going to go to Mississippi to visit my family. And it got to one of the last days. This was like St. Patrick's weekend, mm-hmm. March 9th. And my mom was like, um, I don't know about you flying and all of that. Go home. And I was in Houston, Texas at a curious house. Yeah. Um, I went to visit her for a couple of days and I was supposed to go to Mississippi. My mom was just like, go home. And she was just like, in case we don't know what's going on, but in case you get stuck anywhere, you know, be at home where you at least got clothes. And sure. at that point, I didn't have like a lot of things. I had like drag. <laughs> and she was like, go home. You don't want to get stuck here with just drag, you know? Right. And you are being here for a month. Or maybe months, we don't know. I went home, took an LA gig last minute, just because, and that ended up being our last, my last gig. Mm-hmm. And everything shut down. So you were already home when that started in LA, which is good. I was coming back from uh, London where I was dealing with a couple uh, concurrent illnesses, and then scared to fly back because of the you know the growing panic about 
COVID-19 and everything. So I ended up staying there a lot longer than I expected to, but then came back sort of in the nick of time, you know, like about a week or so before the borders were shut and all that. When it first came out, I, I read an article about how they believed that COVID-19 was here in November. Oh, Because yeah. there was an illness that was out that, you know, doctors just didn't know what it was. And it was so strange to me because I had went to Brazil to open for Iggy Azalea like mm-hmm. December 15th or so, or 14th. And I went there and I got sick. Oh. So sick that um, I didn't sleep for three days because in my mind, I was like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die when I get to the U.S. where my mom can find me. Right. I'm not going to have my mom trying to find my body in some foreign country. And I got sick. I went to the doctor and they prescribed medicine to made it seem like it was worse. Got back to the U.S., they were like, it's food poisoning. Started treating me, drinking more water. But the strange thing was, it was like my throat was so swollen really? that I could barely talk. Wow, yeah. I started drinking hot teas and everything. Went back to the doctor December 30th in Mississippi. And the lady was just like, you like literally nearly the point of death. Wow. And they started pumping me with steroids and all different kind of things. I was sick for like six weeks. Wow. And they kept saying that you have like an irregular respiratory infection. Oh, wow. So it's like, very, very, you know, possible that, you know, you had a ver- version. Of, a version. Of, yeah. I've had moments where I was, one, I've wondered, because I never had been as ill as I was in London. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was kind of worn down because a, lo- a lot of traveling and I'm a bit of a workaholic. It's so great to be doing what we do. And you can sort of forget that sometimes we need to just unplug. Right. To that point, how how good are you at that? We'll get back to what I was saying in a minute, but how good are you at balancing the sort of the need for like enforced relaxation, if you will, and uh, continuing the work? I'm very poor at it. <laughs> I, I have a, a crazy work ethic. Yeah. And like when I say crazy, like my work ethic is, especially for like this past season, like it's crazy for me. I went from going into a master's degree program to film in RuPaul's Drag Race to immediately working around the world. Right. You know, so like even before that, like I was working crazy as a college recruiter and doing drag. So, right. <laughs> so like, I, it's just in my nature to keep fighting for what I want in life. Sure. And so I, I hardly ever take breaks. Like I keep going and going and that's all I guess I've enjoyed, you know, this time off sure. so much. That must have been so strange to be so sick for so long. Because I had a few weeks, but for six weeks, and you're still pushing through. Still pushing through. I think I canceled one gig from all of that. Right. Um, I was just like, I, my body just is not going to let me get there. Which I bet was the last thing you ever wanted to do. Like, I'm sure there was like oh, till the no. last minute. Yeah. I, didn't, I canceled, and then we were trying to rebook it, but then I was just like, you know, they, they can't rebook it right now. And it, it was just all like a mess. It was all crazy. Yeah. Because I wasn't even thinking about like we was going to be in this pandemic. Sure. So like I was just like, we'll just reschedule it, you know, for January. That ended up not happening. Did you have more dates that now got that got postponed when everything got shut down? Yes. I was going to be on the Hatersverse tour mm-hmm. with Peter Murray. I got invited to two other tours, uh, one in the UK that was going to happen, but I don't know when it's going to happen now. I, right. I literally, I'm unemployed because I don't know when the next gig is going to come. 
And then the side effect of that is even when things open back up, where people have money to even go to shows, where people even have money to, um, or would they even be allowed to have theaters back open? Right, you know? right. And then once they're allowed to be open, are we going to even be comfortable? Like, what's the chilling effect? Uh, you know, just personally. But I'm over here like, I was just thinking to myself, I'm about to go get me a little job at the Dollar Tree, <laughs> you know, yeah. to uh, surpass my time and get yeah. me about 20% off. You know, you have a... De- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, go you ahead. have a degree in uh, organizational leadership. Right. And I was trying to get into the PhD program for global leadership. Okay, sure. Now, what sparked your interest in that to begin with? I, I, I was in a room full of dumb people. <laughs> I was a college recruiter. No one was taking me seriously. And I had the highest recruits. Mm-hmm. So I'm award winning. And nobody's taking me seriously. And... I was just like, why, why am I not, you know, what, what do these people have that are over me that I don't have? Sure. And at that time, it was a master's degree. I was between two schools, and I was looking at the programs, and I was like, out of all the programs, organizational leadership is something that, from the research and from, you know, the outcome and career services and everything, this is the program that I think fits and suits me best. Right. Um, because I was going to go into like some type of psychology program for mm-hmm. like children, but it was more for like student services for colleges. I just knew I wanted to work more in higher education. Right. I come from a family of higher education. Mm-hmm. My grandmother is 83 and still teaching. Mm-hmm. My older brother is a principal now. My mother was a teacher. My younger brother was in college to become a teacher. So it's kind of like the family business. It is. My yeah. dad was a um, trade school my dad was a professional welder but he taught other people how to weld so it was kind of like natural and when i went to i went to a teacher program for three weeks mm-hmm. and I, I had to get out because i was like it's not for me <laughs> yeah but i found a natural talent enrolling people for school okay sure so i knew i wanted to get in higher education and i did the program it was a college professor was, that was just like um, from a paper I wrote, I wrote like the leadership of slavery, some bullshit. I was drunk, <laughs> wrote a paper, um, wrote this paper and it ended up being very sickening. Like the paper was sickening. Yeah. And, and my field of organizational leadership, everyone's white. And my professor was just very upfront and was like, well, we can't steal your idea because we're all white. <laughs> but this was like, he was like, this would keep you living. He was like, you can write a book about this, the yeah. leadership of slavery, and you can go college to college and talk about it. And I was just like, you're crazy. I was drunk. Did you know I was drunk when I wrote this? <laughs> Most professors are drunk when they're writing. <laughs> drunk or high. It's like, it's, it's in the nature. Yeah. High education. You have to. Yeah. Like, look at the, how screwed up the education system is in the U.S. Right, right. They want, they want you to have education, but they also want you to have a hundred thousand dollars more plus in mm-hmm. debt, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. So like, a lot of money up front and then to be stuck for it in the end. Yeah. Oh, because I'm stuck with that. Yeah, you need a little something to take the edge off, I guess. <laughs> right. And you were already doing drag at that time, right? Yes. Let's get into the origins of that, because I know a lot of people know it, but I think it's always nice to get back into the beginnings. I don't think people really understand. Like I, I was not one that ever wanted to do drag. Uh-huh. I did drag one time when I was in college. It was around March 17th of 2012. I think March 15th or 17th. It's one of those two days. And 
I did it to represent my college, Wabash College, at another college. Did a wonderful job. Never wanted to do drag. Girls in the community, like I went to all men's schools, so girls that live in the actual city that I knew put me in girl makeup. Mm-hmm. I was like a real woman. And I went there and performed entertainment, did very well. That was in 2012. I didn't do drag again until like October mm-hmm. 2013. What's, what uh, brought that occasion on the second time? I was kind of there to do a pageant. Uh-huh. And that's where I got the bug to actually do drag. I was like, oh, I can do this. And then I started doing pageants. And my gay mother saw me an interview at a pageant. I've never lost interview at a pageant except twice. Uh-huh. And I was second by one point, And it was only at Continental. Okay. Um, that I've lost interview. And that wasn't even the prelims. I always went at the prelims. Mm-hmm. I've always won interview, like at pageants. Yeah, well, and you are gifted with the gab, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I wasn't like any other girl. Sure. I, I wasn't like a true pageant girl. Mm-hmm. Because on stage, I'm going to give you much, much crunch, crunch. But at the same time, I was elegant and beautiful enough right. to where I can go in. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Win, I haven't won a lot of pageants. I've done a lot. Yeah. I've gotten first runner up to a lot of pageants because a lot of people are like they're not going to take a chance on me. Okay. Um, but, so like, but you don't. So you don't listen. That's a, another great thing about you. You don't. You don't listen to the negative uh, projections of others. You know what I mean? Or like the doubts, right? You just you push oh, through. No. Yeah. Because at the at the same time, I. I was one that remembered I am one of few drag queens that have a full-time job in the daytime and sponsor myself at night. Yeah. I, I didn't ever ask anybody for anything for drag. Right. I pay for everything myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a difference. Like, sure. I mean, and, and you could tell, cause even going on the drag race season 11, right. everything that I wore came from my closet. Mm-hmm. I think I had three outfits that I, I bought mm-hmm. for the season, but everything came from my closet. I didn't have the money because I had just did Continental and spent $15,000. Yeah. The pageants are expensive to participate in, right? Oh, absolutely. You never get the money you spend. Uh huh. I had qualified to compete for Continental again, which would have been last weekend. Miss Continental Plus is the only pageant I've ever wanted to win. Mm-hmm. And unlike Akira, Akira has won a lot of things. She can go back as a former Okay. To these pageants every year. I didn't have that because mm-hmm. I got first runner up to most of my pageants. Okay. Still, first runner up, not too shabby. I know, but like you still don't get the crown and glory. I understand and that. Yeah, you don't yeah. go back in history. Yeah. You're never a part of history. Like I'm a part of the continental system, but I'm not really like a sister's continental because I haven't won it. And I was like, let me go back and you know, win this pageant, child, <laughs> while I'm young. Yeah. And why I got a few extra coins. Yeah, right, right. Well, there's always, you know, next year, right? We will see, because I'm still qualified until they actually have the pageant, so. Okay, perfect. That's right. So who knows, you know, one of the good things about the uncertainty is there's a lot of things that are just, well, that may still happen. There's a good way to look at things, not just like right. it's not going to happen, you know, because it's, it's easy in this time, too, to think the worst or like, oh, everything's over or everything. You know, like, for instance, DragCon gets canceled and I was going to, I had like three panels and stuff. Part of my brain's like, Damn, but the sensible part's like, well, that's good because with the amount of hugging I do, I would just I would drop by the end of the first day, probably. But <laughs> <laughs> um, that. Yeah, right. 
So it was pretty quick from when you really got into it to when you were doing the pageants. Yes, my gay mother played no games. She really whipped me into shape because I had the talent, but I didn't have the look. Uh-huh. And so, um, and then another problem that I have on a personal level, my weight fluctuates. Mm-hmm. I get heavy, then I could thin out. Like my weight's always up and down. But my gay mother taught me makeup and when she got to my game mother's white so when it got to a point where she couldn't teach me colors or different features she sent me to coco van cartier who okay. was a beast in the drag industry and who's your gay mother uh, my gay mother is vanessa ryan vanessa ryan mm-hmm. from she lives in chicago now she doesn't do drag anymore okay but um she was a beast at makeup mm-hmm. and everybody in our family was dancers mm-hmm. like she was a dancer Everybody, all my drag sisters, we all dance. And she was like, um, we all wear heels, like at least three inches when we dance. Until I had a car accident, because I never talked about this on Drag Race. Oh. I had a car accident and had to go back through therapy oh, wow. and walking and everything. So I don't wear high heels as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So if you see me at DragCon, like um, I know I got red the house down at DragCon LA for taking off my heels. And walking down the red carpet, but like when it comes to me being uncomfortable, yeah, you want to see me fall on the floor, <laughs> or you want to see me walk, <laughs> right? That's something I never, I don't think I've ever talked about having that car accident. Well, I so someone texting and driving. Oh, that's terrible. That's awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sounds like it was pretty uh, horrific injuries. Then, if you had to go through all the, you know, the mm-hmm. physical um, therapy afterwards. So, how long were you laid up for before you were able to start the physical therapy? I started the physical therapy, I think, a month afterwards. Wow. See, I think a month after. So that's a month of being laid out and sort of, and as such a go-getter, I I imagine there must have been, uh, in in addition to the physical stress, the mental stress of not being able to just get up and do your thing. Uh, You know, get get up and walk, yeah. I I had to cancel all my drag gigs. I couldn't wear heels and the doctor had asked me not to wear heels i think for like a whole summer which is a long that's a long time i know like i just never recovered from it right like ever like it's just horrendous like yeah i've never recovered from it it's so scary when people are um cavalier or when you see or hear that someone was drinking and driving or something like that it's always so shocking because the long-lasting lifelong impact sometimes from any kind of accident like that is so scary and, and for it to be a texting and driving thing i mean it's such a stupid thing that must have driven you a little crazy at, at the time too i mean it would have me to think that someone just being sort of stupid caused that you know what was crazy he was a college student coming back from like a college party texting and driving and i actually ended up enrolling him in school <laughs> <laughs> i was like what are you doing like we were waiting on the police. I'm like, what are you doing with yourself? Like, yeah. Even in those moments, you can, you, you do how to guide someone into a, a better chapter of their life. Right. Like the car accident was bad. Cause I was, you know, basically parked at a red light and he ran into me. Wow. But like, and he had a Buick, you know, and it was an old Buick. Oh, those are beasts. I used to have an old Buick. It's like that car is probably not going to get a dent. Your car is going to get fucked. Oh, it fucked my car. He had like a little dent, but like, and I, I felt fine that day, but it was like, 
later that night when I had to go to the emergency room because oh, yeah. it was just like it was like oh it's the adrenaline and you have like severe whiplash and th- like oh man I'm like oh no yeah and I was on my way to a celebration for me oh no for doing so well at Continental it was crazy oh that's so rotten and it's a good thing though for people to hear because a lot of times people get in car accidents and they think well I don't need to go to the hospital but you can have internal stuff going on that you don't know about right. And so I had to like go back to therapy because it kind of like messed up my back and my hip yeah, and my knee. And I feel like on drag race, you saw me walking in with a knee brace like day one or day two. Mm-hmm. I think day two I had it. They had to go get my knee brace because it had just became so difficult sometimes to even walk. And it, it, and set is freezing. Oh, is it? I feel like a little old lady <laughs> with my little knee brace on. <laughs> terribly cold in here what are you (laughs) you know hunched over (laughs) so i was oh yeah (laughs) now psychologically did you have any uh issues then getting back and driving again after you were able to walk okay and everything no i i couldn't like i was working in in school and i just i couldn't right well that's good that's the best version of it you know yeah, I, I couldn't. I think I did my schoolwork from home for two weeks. Yeah. Let my professors allow me, but I, I just couldn't. And how long was it until you got back to performing? I think about four or five months. That must have been tough, too, because you were already in the thick of it for a while before this. And then... Right. And I, for me, I had just um, placed second runner-up at Continental. This literally happened a week after I did Continental. And so, like... I was preparing for a tour and all of that got canceled, everything. But you know what? Things happen for a reason. And I sat at home and got a little fatter. So, <laughs> um, And did you take that time to like think about what the next performance you would do? Or you know, did you take that, that downtime to just put some uh, thought into other style of performances or new tricks or anything like that? No. No? <laughs> no. Like, I think that's probably one of my downfalls like in dread because if it's not for a pageant where it's just choreographed every count is choreographed yeah like i do not rehearse numbers <laughs> like at all well everyone has their own method well for me i'm more of a um being a, like the type of entertainer that i am all of my 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 tricks and everything is about you know the way i interact with the audience sure and i think i became like so popular because it's the way I interact with people. Like, there's a video of me jumping on like a mail truck in oh, Chicago, right. yeah, yeah. driving off. Like, um, you're spontaneous, and the, that's one of the the things that people love. Just, yeah, like everything is spontaneous, even to like being at brunch and feeding like this one girl strawberries, and like every time she would eat it, I just keep giving her another one. <laughs> like I. I her mom messages me on Instagram a lot. Talk about we just love that day, you know. It's the things like that that other entertainers like. Some entertainers all about entertainment value, and I have to do this and I have to do that. And I'm like, I want to give my audience an experience that they won't get anywhere else. Right. And I think that's what has made my drag so different mm-hmm. throughout the years. That's why when I moved to Chicago, a lot of the Chicago queens was upset with me because. Within two weeks of being there, I got like a um, show director position mm-hmm. and I started booking shows and the way I talk on the microphone and 
I had a show, like I started a, a brunch show that ended up being the best brunch show in Chicago mm-hmm. that other sh- brunch shows started mimicking my show. Sure. Yeah. Um, And carrying it on, you know, like from the way I had it to the way I set it up, you know. Right. And the vibe and everything. Yeah, because like Chicago didn't have brunch drag shows. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. No, until I got there. Oh, wow. Well, they had Hamburger Mary's, but yeah. The, let's just say the Chicago Hamburger Mary's is, isn't of good quality. Oh, okay. It, it's only the Chicago Hamburger Mary's. Um, every Hamburger Mary's I went to, like coming to Hamburger Mary's and West Hollywood was phenomenal. Yeah, sure. The Long Beach one, too. I, I only went to that one recently, and it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable and, and it's huge. I think the um, Hamburger Marriage Chicago, the management is just poor and what they look for in a queen is just poor. Okay, sure. So it's not up to the same standard. Yeah, I made the cast and I was told that I wasn't Hamburger Marriage uh, material. <laughs> I wasn't what they were looking for after I made the cast, but the people were coming in the doors to see me, honey. Like, yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's the and so. I took my talents elsewhere and yeah. It is a funny thing when, you know, like you're making it happen, but you're, you're being told at the same time by those who supposedly know or those who are supposedly experienced that, well, your thing isn't really the thing that, that happens, but it's happening. So, you know, it's a funny thing. And then I, I imagine with a lot of that, you're just like, well, there's really no one who can tell me anything. Not, not that anyone can't give you advice or anything, but it's one of those things where it reminds you that, you know, in your pursuits, your artistic mm-hmm. pursuits or whatever, really, you're the only one that knows. You know, even trusted uh, friends and associates can give you feedback and everything like that, and it's good to take that on. But at the end of the day, you have to decide. You you really you really really do, and you have to know what's marketable to you, because like in Chicago, every girl like I don't know it's a trend of pastel wigs, the curly coiffed wigs. Okay, yeah. The, um, so the pink, the turquoise, yellow with the um and they were everybody was just doing taylor swift and and in chicago i was like ain't nobody doing anything that i'm doing the type of music that i choose because i I usually do like a lot of disco older dance music because i knew nobody was gonna do it right right Um, and it's also it's also uh natural to you right it's like you love it so wouldn't it make mm -hmm. sense to do what you love because to, to do something other people are doing what's the point exactly um so like, yeah. So that's what you know. A lot of my fight came from it at Drag Race because mm-hmm. literally, like, doing drag has not come easy for me. Like, I've had to fight for everything from, you know, going to pageants and always getting first runner up, but I never let it break my spirit. Right. Uh, even being on Drag Race, where the girls just plain out didn't like me episode one because I was there getting my life. Sure. Right. I know it was, it was kind of a, not, uh, not controversial is not the right word, but I mean, you certainly made a splash uh, in the first episode and everything. And then there was like a lot of tension and that must've been a lot to deal with on top of the tension of dealing with the day-to-day craziness of just being on Drag Race. Yes, because I was wondering why these girls don't like me. Um, I, I didn't know who they were. I only knew two people and it was only because of the pageant world. And I knew of Angie, but I knew Brooklyn and Akira personally, and I didn't know they were on the show, but like I didn't, I didn't know those girls, and I was like, why do, why do y'all dislike me so much? And I'm just, I'm just getting my life on the show, right? Like I was one of fifteen girls selected, so 
why why are y'all acting so entitled? That's in my mind, like while while we were filming, why do y'all feel like so entitled that y'all supposed to be here? Like these people came here to be entertained for a show, and that's on and off camera. So give it to us. Like you know better, you know. It's so crazy because like some of those same girls that talked about me after the season will come back and be like, I wish I would have did what you did. Mm -hmm. I was free. I I went there free. And I think part of that is because like, because I had did continental. Yeah. Literally weeks before we went to go film, which is just for those who don't know, uh, it's a very high stress environment, right? Continental because it's very, yeah. yeah. It's ran very fast. Like, um, it's super fast. It's the most prestigious pageant um, in female impersonation mm-hmm. in the United States, and it's a beauty pageant. Right. But I had did that pageant. I didn't have any money, like at all. I had just moved to Chicago. I didn't have no savings. My grandmother paid my rent, car note, yeah, and all my other little bills for three months for I can live my dream. Wow. So that's about six thousand dollars she put up front. Right. For I can live my dream. So every time I would get you know, on, on the stage, it was just like, my grandmother is here paying my rent. I have got to give my all every day. Right. Because of that. Right. You had an obligation essentially. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Very much that like my grandmother's going to be expecting great things out of me. I have to do great. And even when I know that I'm going to be horrible, I have to (laughs) be great. Like, yeah, that's an important thing too for anyone listening to to get through the fear of any moment because we can be at any level of our profession, but you can get um, not it's not jaded, but because you're focused on it day day to day, every day, hour to hour. Sometimes you can have the moments of you know you can know that you're good at what you do, or you know that you have a thing planned, or whatever it is, but you can still have the the tremors of uh, mm-hmm. you know you be shitting yourself essentially inside, but. You know, you don't present it. You know, you got to just push through that. And then uh, that's the only way to get ahead, especially when you're starting uh, in anything that you right. do. Yeah. You have to. You have to give your all in. First impression is the last impression. And, and I may be been loud and obnoxious or whatever, but for my season, who do they talk about the most still? I may have one of the lowest following, but I'm still the most talked about. And I'm very humble and honored. About for that, you know. Well, listen, people love you. I remember walking around DragCon towards the end of one of the days. I was near your snack shop. It was towards the end of the day, so some of the lines were lower around some of the booths, but yours was like firmly packed because I was like, oh, maybe I'll go over and say hi. But it was jammed, and like people were just loving, living for <laughs> be uh, coming and talking to you, you know. And you spent a lot of time with each person too, which is which was nice because I was just hanging out nearby. So I, it's fun observing observing the interactions between everyone. And also everyone's different fan base is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Katya and Trixie's line would be a little bit different than Violet's line and, and all that stuff. And it was fun to see right. on mass. I, I made sure I gave everybody like, because even like the, my staff was just like, you need to hurry up. Come on. We got this long <laughs> line. We need to get it down. And I'm like, no, these people paid to. I, I didn't realize how expensive DragCon was. <laughs> right, right. I had never been to DragCon before, mm-hmm. and I, you know, my first time I have to present there. Yeah. And once I realized, like, these people pay like a hundred bucks a day just to get in, and then on top of that, you you like, I only require you to you have to purchase thirty something, at least thirty dollars. Yeah. Come in and say hello. So once I realized that, I was just like. 
let me love on all these people and let me be appreciative sure. of these people. Because let's be honest, like I have a lot of haters. And even with my haters, some of my haters have like in real life person. Yeah. Love me because of my meeting greets, because I want to spend the time with each person to let them know that you are loved. Yeah. You know, I'm not at your house. I'm not your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I may not be accessible to you 24 hours a day, but I want you to know that I'm that you are loved and that you are somebody. And I'm very grateful and humble that you decided to take the time to spend with me. So right. I'm sorry. Like two pictures and a hello and hug is just not gonna cut it for me. No, exactly. Yeah. And that was my that was my first strike on too, and I was so overwhelmed by the love and positivity from people. And, you know, when someone walks up to you, especially at your first time at, at, at this thing, you know, and then they're coming to your booth, it must be uh, quite a, a head spinner, you know what I mean? Not that you're not used to people being fans, but in particular, after dealing like what you, with what you said, the haters, and I'm sure that, you know, it must have been kind of crazy to deal with the hate on Twitter. Um, On Twitter, I, I, I just stopped getting on Twitter. Because, it's a like, good plan. <laughs> just like Reddit, stay away from Reddit, never go to Reddit. That's my feeling about Reddit. <laughs> I, I've never been on Reddit. I didn't even know Reddit existed until the season started. I, I didn't know what it was. Yeah. I guess, what, I guess one of the bad things about me was, uh, before I went on the show, I guess I didn't think about perception or how how the fandom interaction was. Sure. Although maybe it's a good thing, though. Because you hear a lot of queens say, in retrospect, or if they go on uh, All Stars, uh, a lot of times they will say, you know, oh, I kind of regret not being myself, you know, like the, the opposite mm-hmm. of what you were doing. Like even remember Katya on season seven uh, was uh, held up by anxiety things. And then on All Stars, she was really fully like, hello, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, that's why I hope I get a chance to go back to All Stars to now that I know how it is. I, I just want to go back and just slay them. Yeah. And I want to be the silent kill because I need to prove two points that, you know, I am that sickening entertainer because on Drag Race, I was always in the top on most of all the challenges. Right. Until like very end when I started to get tired. Mm-hmm. And I need to like show them as well. Like, do you know what? At this point, y'all going to expect the entertainment from me. No, 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 baby. <laughs> he said, over here in this corner and watch out. Right. And then keep him guessing because, you know, you're not uh, doing the same thing you were before. And then it's, what she, what's she up to? Keep their minds wondering. So I always <laughs> hope that I get uh, on that. But, you know, I recently unblocked 12,000 people on Instagram. Wow. Now, what prompted that? Because... I had come to the realization throughout this entire experience that I held on, I, I carry a lot of pain. Okay, sure. From my season, um, these people hate me and not really understanding why. Yeah. Because I, I, you want, I was on the show for entertainment and I gave you entertainment. Right. I was never malicious or cruel to anyone. Right. There was no plotting against and that kind of stuff. No. Yeah. Even to that, that one time where I didn't really accept Eva's apology and, and didn't talk to her, you know, people say that I was an evil, cold-hearted bitch. But I was like, that's kind of what's wrong with the gay community now. When you don't talk to someone, 
or if you for your sanity if you feel like you need to like move away from someone yeah why be fake and accept the apology and then have to go back that was part of like you know evie's and vanji's fight you know mm-hmm. yeah apologize and that's right saying apologize and for me i was just like bump that i'm in this competition don't talk to me and i won't talk to you you stay on your side i stay on my side we have to work together we'll be cordial yeah you know like sure it's it's a very it's a very mature way to deal with it because you know you're in a situation you can't just avoid them totally but you can put uh, boundaries in place right and I, I don't think that I think the fandom is so young they don't understand like that adult decision like right, right. everything they think because it's television you just got to apologize or move on no right if I want to be in my feelings I'm allowed to be in my feelings. Mm-hmm. That's why I love Roger Hare because her feelings were her feelings. <laughs> yeah, unmistakably, for sure. No, right. And um, so I decided, you know, for my sanity and to move on because I've done a million interviews last year that came up that were saying that I never wanted to do All-Stars. Never want to go back to All-Stars. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I never did. But I'm at a point now where I can go back because I would be different going back as an entertainer, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Sure. And so to unblock 12,000 people was if I can, you know, forgive myself for falling into y'all traps. Yeah. Of what y'all was thinking about me. And, you know, cause I was blocking people, you know, you said one wrong thing, one <laughs> wrong word. Right. You right. A typo. Say met, <laughs> like when men came out, they said meds to me and I sent somebody home on my worst day of drag race, you know, yeah, like, sure. So you say meds to me and you making me seem wanted me to feel some type of way and I will block you. Right. Well, I, I said, if I can forgive myself and I forgive them for treating me this way, they deserve a second chance. Listen, that's a very uh, mature way, again, of looking at stuff. And also, it's it's uh, good for you. You know, that's a funny thing that we learn at some point, hopefully, all of us, that um, the people who have done us ill in the past, in, in any, you know, gradation, because that's a comment, but some people have done her- terrible things to us. In, in a way, when we forgive them, it's really about uh, liberating ourselves from having the burden of thinking about mm-hmm. this stuff and having it come back in the middle of the night or, you know, or like a low moment or something. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I let them go and I had realized I had to go back to my roots because something about this year, I felt like it was trying to change me as a person, mm-hmm. like of who I am as someone that's approachable and personable. And so, you know, I was just like, you know what? I'm, gonna block these people and i'm not gonna block people from here on out because at the end of the day i want you to see all of my successes yes exactly even when you hate on me (laughs) i'm gonna rise above and keep going on yeah especially because you hate me but you're still following or you're still you know yeah and i may not have the following numbers but trust me they are watching me and they always figure it out so i was like let me go ahead and do that and you know let me continue to get better at my craft and you can just come watch me, come see me and it'll be your problem. Right. And, com- and say negative comments if you want, because you're still so in, uh, wrapped up in what I'm doing that you're taking the time, which I, that always blows my mind, the negative comments, mm-hmm. because it's like, if I don't want to look at something or I hate something or whatever, I might bitch about it to my friends or something and be like, did you see that? Th-? But like to actually go on the person's page, that's a lot of energy expended. 
A lot of energy. I, I have um, Silky Snack Shack, which is my cooking show on YouTube um, that just had the finale this week with Chandra and Vanjie. And I have people that go on every week, the same people <laughs> that go on and say negative comments. And I go back in the comments and I, and I, I write in the comments, um, thank you for your view. Yeah. I understand that, you know, Anything that I do, you're always going to come. Same thing with my makeup <laughs> tutorials. Her makeup is so sloppy. Her makeup is so this. Her makeup is so that. And I'm just like, is it? Right. Because this is what you say every video. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, it's like a weird applause. You're just like, well, you're a loyal fan, aren't you? You just you can't get enough they of it. They really are. <laughs> and I realized that with the Cosmo Queens video with my makeup, because I did a second Cosmo Queen video. Um, makeup tutorial and I was just like I'm going to make sure everything is perfect mm -hmm. had a second person there to even touch up my makeup <laughs> so that, and everything on that video except one thing that I noticed was perfect but I went back and fixed it yeah the one thing that they but I'm surprised they made the editing cut but I went back and I still got all these people hating this that and the other your makeup is terrible you're this you're that and I'm just like Oh, child, please. Right. At this point, you are a realized hater. And I went in the comments and I said, thank you, Cosmo Queen, for, you know, for selecting my talent once again. Right. Because you could have chose anybody, but you reached back out to me. Right. And, you know, thank you for noticing good talent and wanting good talent. I was like, I may not ever be a fan favorite. Mm -hmm. But these people are always going to boost my views, my shares, and my comments for they hate towards me. Right. And I love it because <laughs> it keeps me relevant. Yeah. 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 And if you go look at that, that comment has like thousands of view, uh, likes mm -hmm. because it's, it's, a, it's a hard truth. Like, yeah. And it's also a way of taking essentially what is a, at base level a negative and turning it into a positive, which, you know, a lot mm -hmm. we have to do a lot in life. There's a lot of situations that are maybe um, not even defined as negative or positive. And we have to just say, we decide, all right, you know right. what? This is a good thing. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm doing well. I'm truly blessed. Home about this experience. And like I tell a lot of the people, child go get you a career mm -hmm. matter of fact get two because i got two yeah. i could always go back to you know teaching and or, or recruiting if you if you wanted recruiting. to because recruiting. also because also you have uh clearly a very clear idea of what people should do or how people should uh better themselves and their their situation even the guy that drove into you you were like you know think about what you're doing here you know you're you're screwing up your life you should really get into a solid profession so you, you seem to have a very comprehensive sort of long view of things absolutely and i think like being on the show and watching the air took that away from me really what mm -hmm. what what happened how did what was that feeling like that's one of the reasons why i said i had to apologize to myself because i started to feed into what people were saying and thinking about me oh sure yeah taking it on as if they know something right i started to take it i began to take it personal mm-hmm Right, um, right. And I don't understand. I, I know why I started to take it personal. It was episode eight, mm. Snatch Game. Right. I clearly won Snatch Game. And any girl on that set could tell you because they all knew it. Yeah. 
um, after we snatched game, they didn't put half of the funny things that I said. Oh, okay. It, snatch game was so crazy, and the girls were so boring. <laughs> that, um, now, Brooke wasn't boring. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that, that, you know, RuPaul would look to me, I would do commentary after every girl. That's how crazy it was. Sure. Like, after every girl would speak, I would do my own little thing, and RuPaul would let me because I was the only thing funny. I roasted and toasted Nina West. She sat next to me. And after that week, I remember being at a Roscoe's viewing party. It was like the panel was trying to uplift um, Nina, and I know why they were doing it. I know exactly why why they were doing it, and it's okay for the reason why they did it. Um, and that would be... Nina was the most confident filming. Mm-hmm. Like at all, and we all supported her like emotionally, and you know because she was not confident. We sure. like built Nina all the time, yeah. And um, they was uplifting Nina, but in the same way because how the fandom had been, mm-hmm. you're uplifting her, and the fandom is taking it. Like these are the same people on stage. It was me, Brooklyn, Nina, and Honey Davenport. While y'all are uplifting her, yeah. What they made happen was they made the fans turn against me like I was stealing her shine. Oh, okay, and sure. It wasn't the case. Yeah. Right, right, right. And so after the viewing and after the show and everything, I received death threats. Wow. And I was performing at Roscoe's that Saturday night. Yeah. And I, I received death threats and they were like, we're coming to Roscoe's and we're going to kill you. And and I had just won the mini challenge and main challenge. Right, right. And so at that point, I was like, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? Mm-hmm. Because I had lived this experience and I never robbed Nina. I was like, what are y'all seeing that I'm not seeing about myself? Okay, like, sure. It, it, it became very much that. Yeah. Like to where, and then I had already knew before the filming, this lip sync that I'm going to, when I send Nina home, it's going to be a uh, horrible lip sync. I say, don't know why I stayed that day because <laughs> I, had, I had checked out. Oh, okay. Yeah. By the time we went to Untuck, I completely checked out. Brooklyn had said something that truly hurt my feelings and had me crying. And uh-huh. I had never cried on the show. Sure. Sure. Like all my like real emotions. I waited till I got to my hotel room because y'all wasn't going to take me for weakness. And then the girls came back and they was, um, they were basically trying to fight me the entire time. Really? Yeah. So a lot of this was never shown like on the actual episode. Mm -hmm. So by the time we got to the lip sync, I knew I was going to have to lip sync. I had checked out. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's at the point in the, in the competition, too, where the day-to-day stress, it just builds up and builds up and builds up. And sometimes, mm-hmm. eventually, it's just like you just can't anymore, right? You, just, you go somewhere oh, else. I, I couldn't. I had, like, this, for No Scrubs, I had, like, because first of all, No Scrubs is, drag queens don't perform that song. I just couldn't feel it. Like, the lip sync, the clicks came, and, you know, they was trying to root for me, like, you know, Akira and Vanjie mm-hmm. was trying to like, come on, girl, you got this. They're they going to be excited to see you because you are a true entertainer. But that particular day, I just couldn't even push it in overdrive. Like, in my mind, I had checked out. 
I had already thought about, you know, this is so close to the end of the competition. Yeah. I can go home. I can pack. Like I had already said, you know, I'm going to pack up. Wow. I, I can go home and not show up. I won't let nobody know I'm in. Yeah. I get an Uber, you know, go through the alley. Just disappear. To to my apartment, just yeah. disappear until Wednesday and then show back up. Yeah. Like I had did all of this before the lips. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You, you basically lived it in your mind. You were done. You were home. I was, I was done. But, you know, being a person of faith and going back to that whole situation, because we both did horrible on that lip sync. And I think we just both was out of it. Sure. Because our season, unlike season 12, people wasn't afraid to tell their feelings. Mm-hmm. Even the horrible people. The, like, <laughs> like the, when I say horrible, I mean, like, the, the ones that... Um, was known before drag race and went home early, you know, like gotcha. No one no one was shy of telling their true feelings. Even the plastic who really don't talk on camera, she still would say whatever she wanted to say. Yeah. I think that's what season twelve is lacking right now. Really? That's my mm-hmm. Because like they all are worried about everybody else's feelings. Our season didn't care about anybody's feelings. Honey, you gonna get this and we're gonna keep it moving, you know? Um, it's an interesting thing too that you know, now with the length of time that Drag Race has been on the air, how the queens coming on factor in what they perceive the perception will be based on how they behave on screen. You know, in the way that you uh, said, you know, you came on and very frankly said, I'm going to get a spinoff from this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a merchandise line. And, you know, some people were a little uh, upset about that, but you were just being very candid about what you've seen come before you. Uh, what I've seen before me, and it's crazy to get that confirmation that a lot of the guest judges would be like, you, this needs to be on TV. This, and I'm just like, so what I'm doing is right. Like I, I came in to start a career and I, and I have that. I want to go a few steps further and take it a few steps higher. And that would happen. But, but it just made me, I'm a person of faith. And yeah. Um, you know, the Bible say when you faithful over a few things, it'll make you ruler over many. So I was faithful to Drag Race every day while filming. Anything they asked me to do, I did it without any talking back or even thinking about the perception of what the fans would think of me because I didn't even think of that perception of what the fans would think of me or how editing worked because mm-hmm. I never even thought of that neither. Speaking, of, that, speaking of the editing, and not to interrupt you, but uh, I have a couple listen, uh, couple Hot Dog Club questions. So my Patreon uh, folks, they're called Hot Dog Club, and uh, we do listener questions with them. So let's just get into those, and then we'll – there's only a couple of them, and then we'll get back to our chat. Does that okay. sound good? Great. So Dan Cronin, my pal from Massachusetts, writes, Silky, are you happy with your Drag Race edit? Um, Let me say this. I can't deny that I didn't do anything – on Drag Race, because the reality of it is for me, everything you saw on the camera, I can't deny and say I didn't do it, because you saw me doing it. I think for me, I'm happy with it. I wish they would have shown more of my um, the softer side of Silky, because sure. there was a lot of softer sides, but overall, I'm happy because I have a career. And yeah. that's all I wanted. I guess for me, if I get the opportunity to go back to All Stars, I was always vulnerable after the cameras turned off. Okay, sure. That's something that I needed to do while the cameras was on. 
and I and, and I didn't realize that until after I think Evie actually helped me. And that's something that um that's kind of how we made up at the mm-hmm. very end. It's because again, I kept being vulnerable. I would wait till I get to my hotel room if I had to cry or if I was hurting or anything. Sure. I will wait till I get to my hotel room. Nobody else was gonna see that out of me. Yeah. And like I don't know how, but episode eleven the makeover challenge, the tears just started coming out. Like sure. I, I wasn't even trying. And it was almost like a moment like, Oh my goodness. Why, why am I crying? You know, RuPaul say, can't love yourself. How you gonna love somebody else? Can I get an amen? And then we do the dance on the main stage. Yeah. And that's what Evie said. You are actually a human. She was just like, for so long, I, I thought that you wasn't human because you didn't cry. You didn't really show emotions. Sure. And she's like, it's so beautiful of you to actually show real emotions. Yeah. It's a funny thing, right? We can really be guarded against showing that side of ourselves. But mm-hmm. in the end, we and we're always surprised by it somehow. We always have to be reminded. But being totally vulnerable and expressing the full spectrum of our emotions shows, A, that we're a strong, fully formed person. But also, um, people can relate to it. You know what I mean? Everyone knows what it's like to feel sad or feel like overwhelmed or or whatever. And it's something that I found really uh, rewarding about doing, especially the lockdown episodes where we talk about, you know, being scared or not being sure what's going on and everything. It's a thing that you can bond with people over. And it, it's so funny because yeah. it's like the scariest thing because we don't want to be seen as weak. You know what I mean? We want to show them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that was my mindset going in. Yeah. And yeah. Now, Dan also wants to know, have you ever hurt your back when you shablam? Because he says he always clenches up when he sees you about to do the one in the Queens Everywhere video. No, I've been doing it for years. It's called a um, pop out or diff drop, depending on which scene you're in. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it for years. I'm just heavy. I can send videos of skinny girls doing it. Same thing, yeah. same effect. Sure. But and now, uh, now that I know about your previous injury and everything like that, did you have to modify how you did that? After recovering from the car accident? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You can't really see it unless you see me do it from the side. But it just looked like I death dropped. I actually rolled my back from the top of my back to the bottom of my back. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's like an actual roll where when I was, you know, doing it in my prime, I could just do it. But sure. now like, I have to make sure I roll my back to make sure I don't hurt myself because I did hurt myself a couple of times. Yeah, I'm sure what I'm sure in the process from after the accident and getting into the new technique, I'm sure there was like a kind of a transition period that was a bit uh, difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we move on to Emily Janowski who wants to know if you're going forward with a cooking show, but yes, the cooking show is on YouTube. So, and people it's can, on YouTube. That's right. So, look, Emily, you're you're going to be thrilled because there's a whole bunch of episodes that she can dig into now. It's on Silky Snack Shack. It's on my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash Silky Ganage. There are seven episodes for this season. And um, actually got a sponsor and um, someone that want to take it over mm, great. Um, to make it better. And I've cool. been offered a streaming service that's going to come out. So can't really talk much about that right now sure but maybe in the future when when you can we'll have to chat about right. that it sounds good and congratulations that's wonderful news thank you you're it's welcome moving to a service so that's great i'm stupid 
excited about that. It's nothing like too major. It's not a Netflix or anything, but it's something, you know, to get the ball rolling. So yeah. I'm excited about it. Progress is progress, right? And uh, absolutely, yeah. What's uh, your favorite dish during these quarantine times? Uh, which I've been like, I've been saying quarantine. I just feel like it gives it a quainter spin. But what have you been making? I have been making uh, brookies, which is a brownie cookie. Oh, that sounds fantastic! In a skillet, like uh huh, and some ice cream chow. <laughs> amazing! I love desserts. Oh yeah, so. sure, sure. I do too. I. Uh, I have the brownie mix in there, and I definitely got – they were out of mini eggs. I was trying to get them through all the sources. Amazon Fresh, which is like, maybe that'll come. Maybe it won't. And uh, <laughs> Instacart, and they were all out of mini eggs at all the places, which is funny because normally there's an overflow of them, so you can get them the day after Easter with a discount. But I think in these times, people are just like, give me all the candy. So I got these like Hershey eggs that are like not – as good but they do the trick so that i've been that yeah. and yeah and the other comfort food thing is uh some queso and I, I got a case of unsalted blue corn chips because i couldn't find them at the stores so i just ordered on amazon <laughs> <laughs> not the case to make sure you don't run out what else besides okay. the dessert what else have you been making uh during this time like on a regular basis um postmates i love that recipe that's a fabulous recipe yeah I, and th- it's so shameful because um a harsh reality for me is I won this thousand dollar Postmates gift card yeah. on Drag Race. Right, right. I completely forgot about it, was going through my email <laughs> and then fought. And I still have about four hundred dollars left on it. So perfect timing, really. It really was the per- I always said I was gonna keep it for like a rainy day and no better time than right now. <laughs> no, it's the, it's not gonna be rainier than this in, uh, for a while, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. So where are your go to places? Because uh, I, I find with myself, um, I always when I, I'm not postmating as much now, but it's actually good that you're doing that too because it helps keep places in business during this crazy time. Especially when a lot of us, even though it's safe to eat takeout food, are you know understandably mm-hmm. afraid of anything coming in from outside. So where do you like to get from? I'm not, and you know, I, to be honest, I have a bucket of ones from my last show at the front door. Yeah, because everybody's gonna get tip eight to ten dollars. So yeah, um, just for coming, sure. and I do a cash for you know. In case you want to not have the government tracing you. Yeah. Um, my go-to, it really depends on the day. Yeah. Because I've been kind of using this as a way to try different things in L.A. Hmm. Because, unfortunately, like, being on drag race and working all the time, right. I was never at home. And I moved to L.A. and never got the opportunity to experience L.A. So I've been, like, trying to find the best um chicken wings sure because i love hot wings chicken wings i've been just dappling a little bit of everything yeah i need to get i'm about to get a little healthier though because i said "Mm, this is the perfect time i could be quarantined i could lose about 50 pounds Mm -hmm. get back into my back bend because honey by the time i get to all stars we're gonna have uh Maybe I, I was like, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know where she lands in the competition, but you got Will, um, Widow Von Du. And I was like, that's the way I used to dance uh-huh. when I was about 60 pounds lighter. Sure. I was like, maybe I need to get a light because, you know, they're going to end up trying to put us two black girls against each other. <laughs> and I cannot let Widow mop the floor with me now, honey. I got <laughs> to be some type of like. Uh, Swiffer Swisher or something. On <laughs> I can't let her mop the flow on me, but I love her. She's my good sister. Uh, so I 
gonna think of healthier choices because when I did move here, I did I, I something made me love Cobb salads. Oh yeah, they're sort of fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never since moving here, Cobb salads have just I love. I love being able to order salads from anywhere in LA and they're always good and there's some variation because I'm a huge salad person and I'm trying to maintain my salad intake during this time, but sometimes they're out of the greens or whatever. So like usually my home salad is pre-washed greens in a package and then mix that with like chicken or tuna Mm -hmm. or whatever. And then, you know, sorted other vegetables and everything. Joey's is a fabulous uh, uh, salad with salmon. Uh, uh, Joey's on Santa Monica uh, Boulevard. It's uh, Joey's Cafe and it's a favorite lunch spot but um and they do take out of course like everyone now but uh yeah salmon arugula salad i love and they have a great steak salad so that's a solid place oh, do you know the okay i'm gonna i'll to send go you the with... i'll send you the the address of the thing on postmates or whatever okay because i'm just like joey's that i'm trying to think yeah it's a I kind of nondescript place too it's like you you, you could pass it a hundred times and not really oh that's that place that kind of thing oh. yeah because moving to LA, I love Mel's drive-in. I, oh yeah, I know. that is such an expensive drive-in, but I still love it. <laughs> we all have those because LA is chock full of these places that just have like there's something about it. You know what I mean? You're <laughs> like, I love that place. And I don't care. I'm going to get that that one thing. Another great diner too is Fred Sixty Two. They do like terrific, not the healthiest stuff, but really good, really good stuff. I've gotten some of that stuff, especially around uh, the holiday time. Actually, now that we're speaking of food again, Lindsay Rose, uh, a, a hot dog clubber who has a line of designer cupcakes that are inspired by and named after drag icons, writes, what kind of cupcake would Silky like to see made in her honor? I mean, I could do the obvious flavors suggested by your name, but what would you like to have in your mouth? I know this sounds weird, but I have always thought about that. And this is what I want for a wedding cake. Okay. I used to be a wedding planner. Really? Wow. Yeah. That was one of my jobs before I got into college recruiting. Another low-stress so, uh, gig, right? <laughs> oh, low-stress, high-stress, honey. I know. I, know. I um, interned in D.C. I worked with President Obama one year mm-hmm. um, at the um, Urban League convention. Like, I loved that job, like, of event planning. I yeah. loved it. I, I was sickening at it. Yeah. And I used to love to show up in my little sparkly shoes. Mm-hmm. Like, so gay. Um, <laughs> so I planned my wedding years ago after planning everybody else's wedding. Sure, wedding sure. But I always wanted my wedding cake to be um, an eggnog cake. Ooh, yeah, that sounds amazing. With a Grand Marnier filling mm-hmm. and a nutmeg cream cheese frosted. Wow, that's that's a beautiful combination. I love eggnog, and I love any. I've never had eggnog cake. It sounds mm-hmm. gr- amazing. I've had eggnog cake, and I've had a sweet potato cake. It can be alternate layers of like a sweet potato cake and eggnog cake hmm. with the Grand Marnier filling. Yeah. It got to be a fluffy Grand Marnier filling and a nutmeg cream cheese. Um, yeah. Perfect. But, you know, to, to go ahead and, you know, ham it up, it can be a ganache drizzle on top. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Factor in everything. Right. Or like a G. And chocolate on top. Mm-hmm. Oh, that reminds me. So, you am I right that your uh, original drag name, the first one you had, was a Lasagna Frozen? Is that right? Lasagna Frozen. Frozen. Forgive name. me. Yeah. Silky was my second name, and my third name was Honey Butter Biscuit Super Bottom. <laughs> but you went back to the second name after the third name. I went to the second name. I all came out. I went to all men's college. Right. And one of the mentors of the gay students 
um, I went in 2008 and Drag Race had just come out. Mm -hmm. He was like, let's all create a drag name. None of us did drag. And we all came up with a drag name. He named us. Okay. And one night we was hanging out. Your name is going to be Lasagna Frozen. The running joke was I was from Moss Point, Mississippi, and he was from Laurel, Mississippi, which Uh was not too far. So we always was trying to talk about who was the countryest. (laughs) And so Lasagna Frozen became my name because he was like, you're just country. (laughs) You down from them swamps, you know, you're country. (laughs) And that was like our running joke. But then he later said, silky because you're very classy but a little taste of ghetto <laughs> and then i watched food network yeah and it was silky nutmeg somebody said silky ganache and that's how i got silky ganache mm-hmm. but honey butter biscuit super bottom was like it's like a superhero by the way <laughs> right we was going to be the su- house of super bottom oh okay for terrific but yeah. the shade was nobody in the house was a bottom <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to be deceptive in your advertising, so <laughs> <laughs> right. And like, um, Church's Chicken had the honey butter biscuit, and I used to love those. So it was mm-hmm. like honey butter biscuit super bottom. Like <laughs> everybody had a different name, but ultimately, I performed a silky. Um, I changed my name from Silky to Lasagna one time, and I was going to keep that name, but I was just like, if I want somebody to take me seriously, I have to go back to Silky. Sure, sure. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. a funny thing about names. It's a very delicate balance. It's a very like a razor thin uh, uh, offense, really. Right. You mentioned the disco and stuff. What are some of the songs that you found to be your early staples? Um, start in. I used to do a lot of Fantasia Barino mm-hmm. and Rihanna. So if I was on a show, I was only doing those two. I found my love for disco after being with my gay family. Oh, okay, sure. And like learning the old school drag mixes, like the old school songs, like um, an old school artist. Yeah. So when I first started, I would do like Later Marmalade by mm. Fantasia Barino, the live version all the time. I would do Where Have You Been by Rihanna. Mm-hmm. I used to do like all the Rihanna dance songs and I would do Fantasia Barino down. Uh-huh. Now, have you ever gotten to meet Fantasia? Yes, actually, at an event. Because <laughs> oh. I was event planned. I have a picture <laughs> on my boy's Facebook page for her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is, like, really crazy. Um, Fantasia is probably one of the best live singers. Like, if you go to her concerts, which she's not doing concerts anymore, because I guess she's retiring. But it's one of the best concerts you'll ever go to because Fantasia can make you last cry and catch the Holy Ghost in all of 40 minutes. I love a comprehensive performer. Yeah. Yes. Very. Yeah. So it was when I met my gay mother and the first song that she did, What when I saw her perform, because she always danced, but Star Love by Cheryl Lynn mm. was, it became like one of my favorites. Yeah. And so after that, it was that, then the get on up mixes and then, you know, all the, the crazy things. That's what we did. But something just fell. Okay. Is everything all right? I, I was, they, yeah. Um, it's funny because, you know, I always say that I always say that sometimes I'm very masculine, sometimes I'm very feminine. Mm-hmm. And they always laugh at me. They was just like, when are you ever masculine? <laughs> because it's so crazy because like now, like dating is hard because everybody see me as a girl. Yeah. I look the same in and out of drag. Uh-huh. But then um when we get around the house, when it gets to like 
hanging curtains and drilling things. Mm-hmm. I can change oil and figure out what's going on with the car. That's when they see the masculine side of me. So. There you go. Well, the best of both worlds then, really, for anyone uh, who's not uh, you know, getting into the dating thing with you. There you go. All right. Well, I'm, I'm actively seeking a, a quarantine, babe. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all are. I mean, sex, I remember it well. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> once upon a time and one one day someday maybe although there is the phone sex options or video you know phone chats or whatever uh That's, it's not the same no it's not it's not but you know like uh it's not a decent uh it's a decent runner-up if, in these times you know when you got to no you still i know i'm trying to be optimistic about it <laughs> for someone that hasn't had any since thanksgiving child oh okay like, yeah i realized week three like I have been so busy that I have not even thought about it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I was like, I'm about to lose my mind. No, true. I know. I'm thankful that I had quite a lot of activity in London before I got a little ill. But uh, yeah, look, it's going to be quite a while. Like uh, to quote uh, Elton John, it's it's going to be a long, long time. Uh, I think it's going to be a long, long time rather. Now, uh, in terms of dating, what was your dating habits like when in the last year, say, because you were so busy, what would you typically be doing? In terms of dating, I, I I did date this guy for five months last year, and he just turned out to be a clout chaser. <laughs> oh, which is tricky, and it's hard to figure out people, particularly in the first wave of everything, because you don't know what the signs are. You hear about it, and you logically can think, "Oh, well, I'll know," but you don't know. Yeah, everybody around me realized it, and I was just like, "Give him a chance," you know. Sure, sure, and yeah. That's always tough too, because you know when you want to see the best in people. Because I think uh, we're both similar in this, and we're essentially optimists. And you know, like you said, many examples of uh, finding the good in something when there wasn't an obvious one. Sometimes we, uh, we, just as some people can project negatively on other people, Mm -hmm. I I tend to sometimes project too positively on other people. Well, he was the first um, openly gay guy that I dated. Oh, really? Wow! First openly gay guy. When it comes to me and men, this is so bad because this is why a lot of my friends say that I get asked all the time, am I going to transition? I like my men very manly. Like, Uh I know it's, you know, people say like, um, I I would talk about it. I remember being at a drag show and some guy was like, you're self-hating. And I was like, I'm not self-hating. It was just like, just the type of men. I like, I like them very masculine. I prefer you not to know anything about drag race. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I dated for a very long time back in my day, like straight guys mm-hmm. that was c- coming to terms with like their sexuality. And yeah, like, I don't know why, but it, it was just always my thing. Like, um, when were you openly gay? This is so crazy because just last night I was on a Facebook messenger with my mom and two brothers and um, Vanju is here and we was talking about it and everybody knew that sure. I was gay growing up. Like, mm-hmm. it's me. My family even said it. Like, what you saw on TV is what we've been dealing with for years. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes they get annoying, but we still love, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um. So, I felt personally what's understood needs no explanation. Uh-huh. Y'all always saying that I'm a little sweet. Like, 
Yeah, I was. It wasn't until like I graduated college when my grandmother wanted me to officially like say it. Uh huh. That I actually said it, and I said it with no hesitation. Yeah, I like men. I'm gay, mm-hmm. and I think it was shocking to them because at that time, because it was just like, oh my goodness, and like you done finally admitted this. Like what? Because they already knew, but yet for some reason to have it actually said, it changes things in a strange way somehow. Right. I think it's almost like they thought I was in denial. And then sure. when I finally said it, they became a denial. Like, <laughs> and yeah. Like, yeah. Things got better throughout the years. My mom was one, it, it was kind of hard for her at first. And because my mom would then, like, once, in her spirit that she realized that it was okay. Mm-hmm. That's when she began to talk about it. Then my mom started saying things about when I was a kid. She remembered the first time she let me go to the um, store to pick out my own shoes mm-hmm. that I wanted these white go-go boots. Yeah. And she was, she knew that I was going to be gay then, uh-huh. you know, like, but I guess, I don't know. I guess they didn't, I don't know. And once you're not discussing it, it's easier to not discuss it. Right. All this stuff, too, is dependent on uh, the family dynamic and everything. Clearly a very loving family, but you know, you, you uh, alluded to being very religious, and so clearly I imagine your family's very religious. So that has an impact as well. A huge impact. Like, even I was a minister of music mm-hmm. for five years, from 2008 to 2013, 2014, around that area. Child, let me tell you, it got to the point, like, towards the end, where I had started doing drag and the choir will be at the drag show supporting me on Saturday night. Yeah. And then on Sunday is when, um, where I'll be in church singing. Cause I'll tell them don't drink too much y'all. Cause y'all got singing church tomorrow. You know? <laughs> it's not good for the voice. So yeah. like that, you know, Because I, I feel like the Lord knows our heart. He see all he knows all. So, you know, I ain't about to hide that I drink, you know, as a, you know, minister music. Yeah. Even if I became a minister, I, I'm not going to limit it myself to not enjoying a, a good cocktail because the Lord turned water into wine. Right. The sin is not in drinking. The sin is getting belligerently drunk. That's right. That's so, right. Um, I My term at the church ended shortly afterwards when I guess the, I guess everybody in the church knew I was gay, but the pastor and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because they were horrible. They was a horrible pastor and first lady because yeah. they really didn't interact with people. Oh, okay. They, yeah. You know, they was, it's like, they treated it like a job. Yeah, sure. Once, you know, they found out that I was gay. That's when all the problems start to come in. Like you gay and you this, that enough. So I was condemned in church. So I was like, okay. And I said, I'm glad that I came from a, a family that knows and love God because I had told them right there in front of the church mm-hmm. on my last time being there. I said, until you do right by me, I took it back color purple style. <laughs> I said, until you do right by me, everything in this church will fail. Yeah. And literally six months later, the city took the church to create a bigger fire department because the fire department was this <laughs> And still to this day, they don't have a church. Wow. They have like church in this dance studio. Mm-hmm. Well, God moves in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Yeah. And this is, mind you, this is Indiana. This yeah. is not Mississippi. So this is not like my family. 
sure. I had took that position in Indiana, like while I was in college. Yeah. After I graduated. Sure. And and it and it's not every church. I can I can guarantee you that it's not every church. Um, I had left my home church when I was in high school and went to another church because it was rumored that the pastor was gay. Mm-hmm. And so I went there because it made me feel more comfortable because I'm a person of faith. And I always wanted to keep my faith because, sure. you know, that's something that no one can take away from you. It's your faith, you know. Right, exactly. They can condemn you. Yeah. And you can just tell them, like I tell people all the time, you know, while you saying I'm going to hell, I make sure to hold the seat next to me. <laughs> so we can chat, chat about this later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because ain't no sin greater than any sin. So, you know, if I'm sinning, you sinning too. You just sin with me. So yeah. we both going to hell. You know, we'll be there. Uh, and also, no one's free of sin. I can't remember what the, what, what's the, the, the quote from the Bible, like, he who's free from sin cast the first stone or something like that? Yes. I just wrote that. It's in the book of Mark. Okay. Yeah. Mark 7 and 1, I think, was 7 to 13. Let him with sin cast the first song. Yeah, I, I think. But the principle that the principle that I mean, you can't. It's pretty faultless. It, one of the things that really disturbed me about Trump's speech the other night. I mean, it's hard to pick just one, but uh, he said yeah. uh, we, we've we've done. It's like a greatest hits package, right? He's like, uh, we've done everything right. And that alone, that, you know, it speaks to that side of thing of people mm-hmm. being feeling they're without sin. No one can ever, no one can say that. No company, no person, no committee, no one. You know what I mean? We've all done things that were either a mistake or we felt bad about or whatever. And I think that the key in life is to acknowledge also not just our own, um, uh, to forgive ourselves or understand ourselves, but to um, afford other people that uh, generosity. Right. Absolutely. But to get back to the the cocktail thing, I want to know what's your favorite cocktail right now. My quarantini, as I call it, is <laughs> Hennessy and apple juice. <laughs> oh, lovely! Yeah, that's a bit a bit tart, I imagine. Oh no, it's actually sweet. It really tastes like apple juice. That the apple juice masks the entire flavor of the Hennessy. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's like so bad that I'm doing one part Hennessy, one part apple juice. <laughs> even like and nice and even. No. <laughs> Even that has been my quarantini, as I call it. Lovely, Dan. Do you have that over ice, or do you do it uh, up? Over ice. Over ice. Yeah. And I have like these new cups that are a light bulb, and it has a, a straw that goes down the center. They're my new cups that I had bought because I love good cups. Uh, I I love good cups. Like yeah, I love glassware. Oh, like, I do too. If you watch, if you watch Suki Snapchat, I do a cocktail. At the beginning of every episode, and they all have different glassware. I love it. I love that. I love going to was it is it Crate and Barrel that has that great glassware section where they even have those. Mm-hmm. Gla- I love that. Like I love that they have the stuff like that Russian vodka glass where it's like the little bowl of a glass and then a square base that has you put ice in the bottom. You know what I mean? Right. I love shit like that. Limoncello glasses, and I don't drink, but I love having like the accoutrement. You know, for like the things. So I, so I need to get those more substantially. Represented. But you know, you know what's crazy. Most of my glassware has come from like the Dollar Tree because the Dollar Tree, half of their stuff is like stuff that was damaged in shipping. Oh, sure. So that's how they like some of it's like regular occurring things, but like with their glassware, I used to work for a trucking company. I have every job in under the sun. <laughs> you have. And with the trucking company, um, a damaged crate can be the crate move, like the crates were moving while oh, the sure. truck was driving. Yeah. So nothing is wrong with it. It may have like a dent, but they would still send that over to, they won't sell it at full price. They'll sell it 
because they say it's damaged. And right. then the trucking company has to pay for the truck. Okay, sure. Um, and so, like, I've gotten half of my stuff, like, at different, Dollar Tree is one of my favorite stores. Okay. And so uh, I always yeah. go into that section to see like what they have, like just random things. So that's part of the fun. I used to do a lot of, and I need to go back to the thrift stores to look for glassware because I found it. I love old promo glassware from the seventies. Like, really? Oh, I love it. Like Seagram's had some kind of thing in the seventies and it's like such a seventies look. I'll have to post a picture of it. And it was one of those things where they had like six of them, but I bought three. And then the next day I thought I better go back there and get the rest. And of course they were gone, but I love that. And there's, I think also a Seagram's, uh, uh, thermos, thing actually hang on let me grab it because i want to show you this one sec okay i grabbed a couple things that were uh this is a bit dusty because it's more of a display item and it was on top of the fridge and uh smirnoff thermos Uh and you i guess you would put the the booze in here and then have it uh easy ready to there's a pump thing so you pump it and uh there you go you got your cocktail and um so that's really a playoff the screwdriver the drink the screwdriver oh okay yeah that's how the screwdriver got its name. I didn't know that. They would, vodka was odorless. And so they would work and drink at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And so they would work and put their, their drinks, the vodka orange juice in the thermos. Oh. And they would use the screwdriver to stir it up. Oh, oh my God. That's amazing. I, I love that. I love the histories of that kind of stuff. So that's probably why they came out with a thermos. Like. Probably. Yeah. They're like, listen, this is already happening. Let's uh, Let's make something off of this. And then right. I also love uh, all the Spuds McKenzie promo stuff from the '80s. So this is a this is a very uh, useful glass for a very you know modest drink. And then of course the McDonald's stuff. So uh, this is just one of many. But the Garfield uh, coffee mugs. Oh yeah, <laughs> they had every glass under the sun back uh, in the day. Exactly. I, up until a month or two ago, I had a McDonald's wine glass, which was sort of the jewel of the collection, but one good slip in the sink and it you know, was done, but at least it shattered in the sink and not on the floor, like the bottle of tea I shattered on the floor the other night. <laughs> then I'm cleaning up oh, going, no. I'm cleaning up going, please, I, I was like, don't cut yourself because you can't go in it. You can't go to the hospital. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, this, this has been a fabulous time. I want to thank you so much for uh, such a wonderful chat. And uh, before- nope. Before we go, thank you. oh, thank you. And bef- before we go, is there anything that you'd like to say to people, uh, either during this time or just in general? I would say follow me on Instagram, Silky Ganache. I since going on, um, since been on quarantine, I've been going on live four to five times a week, and my lives they're late at night, so I'm sorry <laughs> they are late at night. After we've been cocktailed. Listen, and, you want you want good uh, stuff. You got to stay up late. That's just how it is. You got to stay up late. And everybody's sleep is off anyway. Because I don't mind. <laughs> right. Um, my, um, we go live and we try to find me a man. Oh, okay. And so you go on. You have to be 19 or older. Mm-hmm. To, uh, we'll add you to the live. You tell how old you are, where you're from. And you have 20 seconds to impress. And honey. Trust me, this these are the lives that you want to look at because <laughs> these guys, I never realized like how many people uh, love me, like and even want to, like on a dating level. Yeah, and it's it's so hilarious to me because like they get on there and they want to show their abs. Some of them twerk. Oh, some of the it, it's just a it's almost like a talent show. Oh, it's perfect and saucy which is what we need during these times you know what i mean right so it's extra extra like gag worthy so before we go is there any uh, any movie that you watched recently that you enjoyed i watched last night for the first time breakout 
Oh, I don't think I've seen that. It's on Netflix right now. No, Breakout. Outbreak. Outbreak. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. Sorry. I, I, Sorry. No, that, no, not at all. I haven't watched it, or I think I maybe saw it years ago, but it, you know when you're like, do I want to watch that right now? Maybe not. Maybe maybe in a week. Maybe in a week. <laughs> I watched it last night, and I must say, like, that movie gave me my life because, like, it just makes you laugh. Like, yeah. I guess that's the good thing about being in the entertainment business. Like, well, I, I'm, I've learned not to take anything too seriously, and Watching that movie helped me not and make me laugh because, you know, like the start of that virus was like a monkey. And, you know, they were saying that the virus started from a bat. Yeah. So I was like, now you got to go find the original bat because in the movie, you got to go, they had to find the original monkey that it came from. Uh, okay. To get right. the vaccine. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, uh, do y'all got to find the original bat? Like, uh, didn't the guy eat the bat? How are we going to find the bat? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because the monkey was still alive. Like, yeah. I was like, when they eat, okay. Okay, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm confused. It's actually funny because I, like, I was avoiding the movie, but in, in a weird way, when we watch stuff that's kind of on the nose in terms of it's apocalyptic or whatever, it's it's a strange release because it's like a horror film, you know? Like we get a release out of that because we're going through an emotion, but we know it's not real, real, but we can buy into it and sort of feel it and get out through the other side. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, we'll check back in about movies, and I uh, hope you have a lovely well, rest of your day. And we thank look- you. Yeah, thank you, and we'll talk to you thank soon. You. Thank you, everybody, for loving and supporting me. I'll do the same to you. Fantastic. Can't think of a better note to close on. Oh, thank you.